You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. I don't know. I don't know if that's like something that people used to say when he was a kid, or something. Like I don't do miniatures. Like that was a common saying, or or like it's something from the Smothers Brothers show. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, right. I have no idea, but he says it. And, <laughs> or like it's something like when you would like go have a prop built or something. Like, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. It's I, I don't do miniatures. But maybe yeah. Somebody on Laughing, like is that was that Goldie Hans, <laughs> Ro- Rowan and Martin's Laughing. Who was on Laughing? I mean, uh, who were the hosts? It was was it Dean Martin or was it someone else? You know, I don't I don't really remember much about Laughing. I know that Goldie Hawn was on it, and uh, Goldie Hawn for sure. What's her name though? Li- uh, Lily Tomlin was also a big part of it, but I don't remember what the or maybe that was Hee Haw. I, I remember it was supposed to be. Uh, it was supposed to be for for all the for all the hippie kids. Yeah, for all the freaky hippie kids. It's like the network was like, we need to find something that these goddamn weird freaky hippie kids will watch. Let's paint them up with a bunch of bunch of weird decorations and have go go dancers and say suck it to me. <laughs> Piss Nixon off real good. Yeah. Put a flower on your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paint a flower on your face. Paint a flower on your micro penis. With a very small brush. <laughs> micro penis. That's it's gonna be. It's gonna work its way into the show for sure. I just remember one of the it's gags. All it's gonna work its way into. I just remember one of the gags was like, like the the lady who's supposed to be like the old bag. Like there's one one character that one of the reoccurring characters is like the old bag. You know, she's got like the 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 like opaque hose, and she's all hunched over in like the brown sweater and the the hairnet and the big old mole. And she comes in and she goes to her 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 hairstylist and she hands him a picture of like. I don't know, Marilyn Monroe or something like that. She's like, I want you to make me look like this. And he goes, I'm a hairstylist, not a plastic surgeon. (laughs) And she like beats him with her bag. (laughs) And then he goes, cut away to a, yeah, cut away to a Comedy has come a long way, man. No kidding. Has it, has it come a long way? Or has it gotten a long way from what used to be its golden age? No, it's that's a really better. good question. Yeah, it's better. We've actually discussed <laughs> that. Yeah, it's, We've it's discussed that several times. Mm-hmm. Well, shit. Are we ready? We're just waiting on Josher there. The stout little yeah, man. Okay. Like Byron, Byron talks like this, man. He's like the one who's always he's got a lot to say about a lot of things. He's got a lot of goddamn opinions. Sounds like you shorts, know? you know. Well, not he's more like my he's a lot like my uncle Dan from Pueblo, okay. Colorado. Honestly, okay. like he's like, man, all I'm saying is build the wall. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. And then Randy is more the like 
creepy guy who just kind of sta- sits there in the background smoking cigarettes and then like occasionally interjects and is like like I, I gave the example of like he can get you things that you may not want right. nor know that you could need someday. Right. Like he'll be like he'll be like I can get you a gallon of embalming fluid if you ever need it. You know he he knows a guy who can get you some stuff. It reminds me of all our trips to like Oklahoma in the South, where like the the Byron is the guy that's controlling the conversation. And you're talking mm-hmm. when you're on tour, and 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 what's Stanley Randy Randy <laughs> is the dude in the back, and you might be talking to Byron, being like, oh, "I'd be nice if we could get a hold of this or that or whatever," and then 15 minutes later. Quiet fuck comes in like there's your thing you were talking about. Right? <laughs> oh yeah, like, oh god, it's, it's like the two brothers that own webs. What were they? Lael and and yeah. what? Like Lael is the the Byron. Yeah, and then there's little like Steve and, yeah. and whatever but, the other guy's name yeah. was that are Randy's running around. Hey, we're rolling. I figured we were. <clears throat> Welcome to episode sixty of the motherfucking podcast, the official 60. podcast. Of the rock and roll, the international power rock combo, motherfucking ruckus from Denver and Chicago, respectively. I'm Aaron Howell. I'm Logan. Hi. I'm not Tony. Tony has the week off because he just moved uh, back to Chicago, fuckface that he is. Mm. And uh, he's spending some time with his family. I think he's at a Cubs game with his mom. He's getting settled (laughs) back at home. And, took uh, his mommy to a Cubs game? He did. What a guy. He took his mama bear to a Cubs game. What a sweet effing guy. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for all the rates, ratings, reviews, and subscribes on all the various little platforms. There we are, of course, on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and our website mfruckus.com where you can stream it directly and uh, check out a bunch of other cool shit if you want to help support the podcast you can follow us on any of those channels give us a rate, review, subscribe tell a friend about it or if you really, really, really want to help us out in a big way you can uh, become a patron at patreon.com slash mfruckus a couple quick housekeeping things to get out of the way we do have some shows coming up July 26th We're going to be at Lost Lake in Denver celebrating the premiere of the second chapter in our serialized concept album and graphic novel series, the motion comic version of that second chapter, The Frontlines of Good Times Chapter 2. It's going to be very cool. We're going to premiere it that day on all the channels, and we're going to play it on the big screen there, and we're going to have some rocking bands playing, and... We're going to do some sets and... It'll be a real toe tapper. And Hail Satan's going to be there. And uh, and uh, the Diffusers are going to be making their debut. Which, by the way, that's uh, that's Mike Mulligan from um, uh, Larimer Lounge's band. Yeah. And I had never even heard them, but I just put them on the show because he's such a cool guy. Right. And it turned out that his band is also pretty fucking amazing so that's going to be their denver debut and then also uh street punk up and comers uh cease fire they'll be on the show so it's going to be uh it's gonna be a cool lineup man we're looking forward to it and then july 27th we're going to be playing during the daytime 
at the Maggie's Farm dispensary uh, festival party little shindig there out in uh, Pinion, Colorado, just north of Pueblo. <laughs> this and is why I come on the podcast. To, to get informed out, about what we're doing. To find out what we're doing. Just like, schedule I got to pull out my calendar. And then uh, that night, we haven't confirmed it yet, but we are uh, in the process of putting together something uh, in collaboration with the Black Monarch Hotel in Victor, Colorado. Um, they have offered to let us and our families come up there and stay uh, for the night. And we're going to play a show at some dive bar across the street and hang out in the historic town of Victor, Colorado, and uh, enjoy their creepy-ass serial killer-inspired rooms. I'm hoping to take the H.H. Holmes room. Um, I'm going to put Logan in the Elizabeth Bathory room. These are real names of and themes of rooms at the Black Monarch Hotel. Why, why did you pick that one for me? I just thought it would be your... I thought red looked good on you. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's a nice room. No, it looks like the most I was just wondering what the reason was behind it. <laughs> also, because, like also because those are of. the only two that I know the names of. I know there's an H.H. Holmes room, and I know that there's an Elizabeth Bathory room. But I'm not staying in the... Um, what do you call it? I wonder if, like, the Black Monarch is avoiding putting certain kinds of serial killers' uh, like, names on the rooms. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't want to stay in, like, the John Wayne Gacy room. Like, that's, like... Like, is there are there nuances to serial killers? And... It's like, this guy was a murderer. You have to sleep under the yeah, just floorboard? Just go, <laughs> yeah. go to the crawl space. <laughs> oh, should I have talked yet? No, yeah, you can talk. Oh, talk hey, no. I was going to uh, say, there you're are, fine. Usually, usually there's a uh, cordial introduction to uh, your guests. Well, we are go- I was getting around to that. No, no, you see, on the MF podcast, we let Aaron talk. For <laughs> two hours 45 straight. 45 minutes. That's great, because I need to take a nap. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, there's other people in the room. Hi. It's a good time to take a nap when Aaron's talking. But that is pretty funny. (laughs) Please welcome to the show uh, two very good friends of ours, Gordo's bandmates, actually, um, and you've got some good history with, man. And uh, I've really been looking forward to having you guys on the show. Please welcome from Granny Tweed, Joshua Finley and Terry Schmidt. Hello. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. Hi there. Hi, guys. It's good to have you on the show. Josh, um, so the original plan was we were going to have just Josh on the show, and then... That would have been better. No, no, no. It was explained (laughs) to me that you need Terry with Josh because Terry is kind of the fat... Uh, the fact checker yeah. and and data guy. Yeah. So like, I wonder who told you that. Yeah. Go, well, <laughs> Gordo told me that it's important that if you want Josh to keep like if if you want him to show up, first of all, he kind of needs a handler to yeah. get him in the room in the first place. I didn't say that. And you need kind of true. Though. It is, dude. It's totally. <laughs> I'm true. usually the I handler. Mean, I mean, like, you know, if you notice, you know, I'm not working. I'm not drawing because I figured you wanted me to pay attention to what was going on. And I appreciate that. It's, yeah. it's one of the first times I haven't seen you with a pad of paper in right. front of you. Right. Well, you know, and, and I care for for what you have going on. I want to put my best foot forward. Well, you, it, you and I are very good friends. Yes. And, and yet, the only time we really get together is work-related yes. in some way. It's like we're working on a project together. We're working on a piece of art where we've got something that's coming up and we need to have a meeting about it. Mm -hmm. And it's like we spend five minutes catching up on whatever the project is. And then it's like, hey, by the way, how's your life? What's going on? Like, And 
you know. So it's it's really cool to have you just like be able to sit down and have a conversation with us. And I know so little about Terry. It's going to be an awesome opportunity to just sit down and get to know you a lot more. That's one thing that I've noticed about this uh, about this podcast that I really love is, and we've mentioned this the last couple times, is it's really nice in this long format setting to have this opportunity without distractions and without uh, you know the the noise of when we might normally be hanging out and the deadlines of when we sure. might normally be ha- hanging out and and you know if you're at a show you maybe get to touch base with the people you're. Uh, your friends with for like five minutes at a time. Right. And what's really nice about these these long format podcasts is you can sit down and you can really like have a discussion and get to know people. And I've noticed in the last few episodes that we've done, it's definitely deepened my relationship with the people that um, that we've had on. So no pressure. Right. But I expect our relationship to go to the next level. <laughs> go to the next level. <laughs> I expect us to get to second base on this okay. podcast. Okay. And let me put some... Uh, uh, perspective on the the handling and the fact checking and all that with Terry is because we toured for a long time together right. um, when I played in a bluegrass band called the Dwayne Brothers um, and Terry was a sound engineer for us and we toured together and lived together for ever ever good fact check Terry. and so. <laughs> And so, <laughs> Granny Tweed was born in their house. It was yeah. indeed. It was indeed. Yeah. They woke me up from a nap. Yep. So let's talk about. He that didn't a like bit. it. All right. Let's <laughs> let, let's let's get let's get into the background stuff a little bit. That's a good place to start. So, okay. all of you guys are from Kansas. Yes. Right. This originally. Is true. Yes. So tell me a bit about that. Uh, the the background of how Granny Tweed started at your house. Okay. Well. How would we say this? Uh, so we had been on tour for quite a while. I don't know. You tell it. You did it. I just got okay. woken up. Okay. I'll see if it's true or so not. So you were on right. tour with the Dwayne Brothers. And by the way, who are the Dwayne Brothers? Um, A band from Kansas. Okay. So this this was... <laughs> a bluegrass. We just yeah. play the other night after the Dead Milkman. We went to see him play. Up that's right. Because they're still touring and they yeah. were in town the other and night. And we had a fun... We had a fun take on it. It wasn't like, you know traditional bluegrass like we were very kind of edgier i don't know we played fast our songs were usually kind of minor oriented i don't know and like covers we didn't do fucking whatever all these idiots you were sorry is that can i yeah you can say idiots yeah all this you know (laughs) traditional fucking bluegrass stuff i mean we did like like everything popular with with uh with the the bluegrass hippie crowds yes they covered the ramones yeah we did the ramones we did guns and roses we did the dead milkman you know but But before it was a thing yeah and (laughs) when we actually played with melody and skill too <laughs> you know, not just fucking banging around with a guitar pick, screaming about fucking whiskey. Oh, yeah, yeah. the whiskey! Yeah, 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 yeah. There was a fair amount of whiskey involved. Like, you're running out of steam. What there, did you Dick. play? They had a song called "Cheap Whiskey" that was also like the one song that was always. But I saw them. Well, play we, that song. We, had a, we had a lot of. We had. We had whatever. So but, it, was, it wasn't like what we was, see now, where like basically. Like squatter punk rock kids no. who might have had Asuk ass flaps ten years ago, they now have like hobo symbols tattooed on their face and and big Hank three ass patches right. and right. and and things like that. Uh, I mean, I don't know. 
yeah, I don't know. I yeah. don't know what to say about this. I will say that the Wayne brothers were born out of our funk electric rock band. Loco Machine, Loco right? Machine. Okay, and, so let's let's go back into okay, that. So I'm the guitar player, one of the guitar players and one of the songwriters in that. And we got this really incredible um, harmonica player called The Boy. It was his name. And, and he would, like, he wanted to play bluegrass. And so instead of losing him to the bluegrass side of things, we're like, fuck it, we'll all just learn, I'll learn mandolin, the other guitar player will learn banjo. We'll mix this the upright, in so the upright that we can player, keep this guy. Or the electric player will go to upright, you know. And then we had two bands in one where our thrash bluegrass band would open up for our funk band. You know, and we could fill a whole night, and it was super Kind of cool. like White Fudge going on tour with Ruckus. Right, sort of yes, thing. very, very, very similar. Um, but, you know, this was the mid-2000s, early mid-2000s, and the alt-country and, 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 and bluegrassy thing. I don't know. It was just, it was at a hot spot. You mentioned Hank 3. He was definitely a part of it, you know, right. and, and all of this thing. And so... That was probably the, the beginning of Muddy Roots. And we had going. to go through... So many fucking drummers, you know, in the in the local machine. And it just got to the point where when the last one quit on a fucking tour, his girlfriend drove all the way out to fucking Salida, Colorado. We're like, why is your girlfriend here? Show was over. He got in the car and left. Whoa. But he left the drum kit. Damn so right I took that did. drum kit to my house. That's how I started doing that. And then we... You know, I met Gordo at a bluegrass festival because we're still in the bluegrass thing. Because Loco Machine had it's just hard to go through six drummers in five fucking years, you know, and keep trying to figure this out, right? And the bluegrass thing, because the country thing was so popular back then, was fucking taken off. Like, you've, you've so, told me a little bit about that, yeah, like so Loco Machine like, stuff. Like, yeah. that was that was like your, your love project, yeah, like that was the thing, like. You got yeah. to kind of conduct and orchestrate. Sure, and I like, wrote a lot of the material for it. You know, and you actually and, sang in that band oh, too. A lot, a lot. Yeah, and the Dwayne Brothers also. Yeah, yeah. You sang in the Dwayne Brothers. Yeah, it was also. the baritone. It yeah. was great. Really? Yeah, we had a lot of harmony. So that's you and like Clark. Yeah, yeah. That's you on that. No way. Yeah. So so then so then kind of the the bluegrass thing. Gains in popularity. Gains in popularity. Loco Machine goes by the wayside, yep, which yep. I'm sure was heartbreaking for it you. It was absolutely fucking devastating. I remember where we were. I got We were on our tour bus, and I got on, and the rest of the band had already talked because they knew it wasn't going to go well. Right. So here comes old fucking new cartoony. <laughs> you know? How are we going to figure out the, another fucking drummer? You know? And they're like, we're just going to let it die and yeah. just do this thing. Wow. And I was devastated because... I was an electric guitar player, dude. I, you know, I loved effects pedals and slapping and popping on the guitar. And you really only did the mandolin shit. to, like, appease the, yes. the boy. Yes. And so, so now so you're, like, like, stuck being a mandolin player right. in, in a bluegrass band. That nice like, little guitar, man. <laughs> Fuck you. Okay, so you wanted you wanted to do something that then, was a little more up your alley. And I loved, yes. And so I got stuck with this, and it was good, you know, because we were popular, and we, we did really well, and we paid all of our bills, and everything was cool, you know? We, like, you were we, a full-time touring musician we were full at this time. point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Everything was paid for by playing this music and doing this thing, and, and we had a good... You know, we were getting well-known, you know, and we were playing with famous people and we were doing stuff and it was, you know, you're doing all the stuff, but I was still playing this little fucking piece of shit instrument that I didn't want to do. In the first place. Right. Right. And, and, but since that drummer quit 
and left his thing, he left his drum kit, and right. I took it to my house. That was an interesting call that next day of that tour when he quit, and I called him and was like, the drum kit will be at my house, you fucking worthless piece of shit, motherfucker. <laughs> and if you want to, when we're done with this tour that you stuck us on, then now we have to fill three hours a night with just the bluegrass thing that was just the opening thing. Well, because you were in Salida, Colorado, so it was the beginning of the tour. It was the beginning of the tour. You know, we probably played a few shows in Kansas, hit there, and who knows where we were going. I don't remember that part of it, but... So he quit on, like, the first... first Or second day, yeah. First or second day yeah. of the tour. Right. God. Yeah, so he never came and got his kit, and so... Because he didn't want to deal with you. He didn't want to deal with me, and so this is how we ended up with the kit... And this is how we ended up meeting Gordo, or I ended up meeting Gordo and Chicken Dinner, the original bass player. Uh, they were years also, later. They were also in a bluegrass in a bluegrass band, band. So in we're, the same scene. So we're rock and rollers playing in bluegrass bands, going, "We should start a rock band." Right, and that's that's how bluegrass. it all happened. And you didn't in Lawrence, Kansas. Oh yeah, you that didn't play day. drums at this point, did you? You just I took... played a little drums, you know, just because I was always around them because I played in bands since I was. A, you know, teenager. Right. So I'd always, I remember. Didn't your brothers want you to be their drummer too? Wasn't that no. part of it? No, they made him play no. bass. Oh, it was bass yeah. that they forced Because when, when I, because my older brother Joe, he's a fucking, fucking raging guitar player, you know? And I was like, man, teach me guitar. He's like, dude, you're learning bass. Everyone mm. plays guitar. I was like, and it's the best thing he ever could have done for me. Because I figured guitar out along the way, but bass is the thing. Also, I feel like in. You know, you're a little bit older than I am, but mm-hmm. I feel like when we were younger, and I know this is Logan and I both got interested in bass when we were when we were kids, and I think a lot of that had to do with you saw bands where the bass player was the front man. You know, Les Claypool, yeah. first con- you know Flea. first concert Logan yeah. and I Flea yeah. um, was was a rock star. You know, Les Claypool sure. was a rock star. Well, Fat Mike from No Effects uh, was was the front man in his band playing bass. Hey, may not be your thing, but when we were ki- when I didn't we were say in- anything, <laughs> no, you gave the thumbs down. I saw it. Um, I you know, but I you know you know the the late uh, Dave Blood from the Dead Milkman, one right. of my favorite bass players of all time. You know, like. Violent Femmes. Yeah, also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian Ritchie playing that big fucking... The fact that he would take the solos and flat pick on a fucking gigantic mariachi bass was just psychotic to Mike me. Mike Watt you know? also at yeah, that Mike point. Watt, yeah, Mike Watt, absolutely. He had... Um, in the 90s was when he started doing a lot more solo stuff. Yeah, so he was... Firehose stuff, right? Yeah, well, it not even Firehose. I think at that point it was just Mike Watt. Like, um, oh, yeah. And, uh, uh, Mike Watt in the second men. Yeah, Mike Watt in the second men at that time, and um, and so you had a lot of these bands where it was very bass player forward. So I think that that was kind of in the consciousness a lot for sure as well. But I shout yeah. out to Daryl Jennifer as well. Oh yeah, Daryl Jennifer for sure. Yeah. Um, so okay, so I, I I think we need to we need to open up a little bit of of kind of the background even before that. Okay. So you grew up on a farm yes. in Kansas. Yes. Like you grew up, like what, how would you describe your upbringing in, in Kansas? Like what, what the environment was for you? Um, well, rural. Like rural, rural. Oh, yeah. Like, rural, yeah, rural, rural. Like I went to a tiny fucking high school. Like not like small town Kansas. Like well, yeah, small town Kansas. Town. There like was like, farm. yeah, farm town. I mean. Yeah. Smallest town Kansas. Yeah, I mean, it was, like, that was probably, you know, not, I mean, you probably had more people in your high school than I had in my whole town. Right. You know, that kind of thing. And like, 
I don't know. We, you know, I have a big family. You know, they're all it's all Mennonite based, so there was just a lot of going and working on each other's farms and land. You know, right. cattle. You know, and you have a lot of cattle. Work you have and, you have. From what I understand from conversations that yeah. we've had, all your siblings are very accomplished in their fields. Yes, like they are like doctors, lawyers. Well, no, like, no, no. One's a doctor. the The rest are own a, a construction company together with my dad, and it's very successful. Very and they're successful. very good. They're the foremans. My my sister runs the whole business. She's the uh, interior designer. You know, like and then and then you became you became full time artist. Yeah, and well, I always knew that's what I wanted to do. Right, and and you know when you grow up on the farm and and when the construction company started, of course you go and you work for dad, and I was a terrible carpenter. Right, <laughs> you know I was I couldn't I had no you know interest whatsoever. Um, I like drawing on the two by fours. <laughs> Look at the funny little thing. And right, right. I'm right. bored. You know that whole thing. I'm and, bored. And they, oh my god! <laughs> Get it? Get it? <laughs> ah, see? Well, and they Wood. were. But they were. They they encouraged you to pursue that, though. Oh, like, absolutely. Like well, they encouraged me to be successful at it. You know. You know, like well, they, they encouraged you to work hard they, yeah, at they whatever you did. Yes, and they 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 never once. Looked down upon the fact that I just wanted to draw all day, every day. And or and then the music thing started and wanted to go and play music and do all this. You know, they were very supportive of it, but it was very like, are you making money at it? Are you, are you, can you support yourself? Dude? Right. You like, know? if, if you, this like, is what you were going to do, yeah. you need to figure out a way to make it work. Yeah. As opposed to, I think, the upbringing that many people have in the West, which is, uh, which is, you shouldn't do that. And you're never going to make any money hear, at it. It's I hear more it. like, it's more like if you're going to do this, yeah. you've got to figure out a way to make it at, work. You know, at, you know, having done numerous art shows a week at, at rock clubs, at, at other events, at whatever it may be, and I'm always showing art and I'm always doing stuff. For years, the whole time we were on tour, I always had art at our merch table, and you know, and would always be drawing in between sets or before, or after, or whatever, and people would all be like. You know, I used to do that, but, you know, I wasn't allowed to, or they told me I had to go to school for this, or, you know, just right. there wasn't that support there, you know. I think there was, uh, for me personally, with my art and with my family, my upbringing, not, you know, there, the, there's not a lot of, like, diehard art, art life running through our family, but they saw how fucking obsessed I was with it. And they were like, oh, don't touch the kid. Just let him right, do... Right, let him do his thing. Yeah, man. Because when I started doing art interviews and stuff, I had to ask, like, when did I start drawing, you know? And, like... But my, it's something my, you've always Like, done. my brother John and my mom were like, as soon as you could hold a crayon, dude, you just didn't stop. And I remember, I, like, seminal parts in my... Well, you know, we had to go to church all the time. And I remember being a little kid, and I could sit on the floor and use the, the, the pew... That you sit on as a table, and I draw. And I remember when I got to the age, whatever that was, six. They're like, "Nope, you have to sit up here now. No more sitting on the floor and draw." So then I had to stack hymnals in my lap and draw <laughs> and draw on those. And I remember all those those little episodes. You know, like if we'd go on a trip. You know, most people are like, I don't know what they pack: video games and Walkmans. And I'm like. My drawing Sketch pads books. and yep. my shit, you know, and then like, 
I don't know. It's just always been that way. My family's always been super supportive. And to give some context cool to listeners, cool. yeah, to, it, be, because it, we we do have a lot of people. Well, we don't have a lot of people who listen to this, but we do have a lot of the people who listen to this um, know who you are. But for the people who don't, yeah. um, your relationship to us has been you've done almost every poster. Yeah. For any time that we've been in charge of the art for a poster. Yeah. For the most part, with a few exceptions, when you've been busy or we, you know, did a jaunt out to work with someone else or someone has referred to us or whatever, for the most part, you have you have done. I would say ninety percent of the poster art for our band for the last seven years, seven or eight years. You did um, the album cover for Thieves of Thunder, which is an original watercolor painting. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit more about that story later in the show, because that's a great story. Um, And then you and I conceived the the Frontlines of Good Times uh, comic project. You did the first book, and you draw for pretty much every band in the city of Denver and beyond, you are. Well, that's not true. You do you do posters for like just about any time I see a poster coming out that's worth a shit. You have drawn it. Well, I agree with that. And, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, no. So and then you do make a lot of posters. I and did. then you also are uh, so so you're a, a very prolific. Uh, independent artists. You are a very prolific freelance artist. You do a lot of mural work. You do a yeah. lot of collaborative work. Yes. You do, uh, and you work out at which gallery do you work out Boxcar, at? Boxcar, Fifth Boxcar. and Santa Fe. And you were one of the founders of the Cabal Gallery, yes. which unfortunately is now gone, yes. gone defunct. Yes. So that's just to give a little a, a little background on, on your credits as far as what your relationship is to us. Yeah. And, and so I'm wondering... Anybody who's ever watched you work is has seen you, even if you're sitting at the bar having drinks and watching a show, you have a drawing pad in your hand. Right. Or you're trying to sort of spend 5% of your time selling merch for a band and 95% of your time drawing and selling your own merch at a show. Right. Or, or you're, it, you're always out doing a mural or you always have... 10, 15, 20 projects going on at any time before you've got to stop and have band practice with Granny Tweed or or Arroya and yeah. then go back to painting something else and then sleeping three hours a night. Right. How much of, of that do you think comes from the, the German Mennonite background and just the work ethic? The of work the, ethic, absolutely. The, the, the work ethic of the, yeah. the, the just like showing up and going to work every day. Sure, absolutely. And how much of it is just like gross, unchecked mental illness? Um, <laughs> I think I would say, you know, it's, it's hard to say. It is obsessive. It's, it's, it's hard to say because I think the work ethic, I think mental illness is always going to be there for me. Right. So that's, you know... I don't know. This is there, right. you know, and uh, then you throw, you know, substance abuse and all kinds of fun things in there, and uh, it gets pretty crazy. So, so do you think? But do you honestly, think it, like I guess my it's, question it's is: work Do you think it's growing up on a farm? It's working, having to do all this shit all the time. And I realized at a young age that if I wanted to draw pictures, I was going to have to know a lot of styles. I was going to have to be. Um, <clears throat> willing to put in the hours to get 
not only good, but good enough to where people would hire me and then have the time and the discipline and the hours to build that art. You know, back in the day when I'd spend three days on a drawing for somebody that I got a hundred dollars for, right? Because people don't people don't want to pay. Yeah, uh, they don't really know what they're paying for. So yeah, like, and it gets and it's quality like original art. People are like, oh, I want to pay you twenty five dollars. Just draw me a picture. Yeah, and, yeah. And back in the day, <laughs> and back in the day, I would have to take those jobs. Yeah, because you were trying to make yes. a name for yourself, and I was still trying. Yeah, no, you know, and I needed to make all those little payments but i wanted to give them a product and i was still learning how and i'm still learning i learn every fucking day that's a cliche thing to say in the art world but it's so fucking true and i hope i hope all musicians and artists feel the same way when you go to when you go to opening themselves up yeah when you go to you know operate in your craft and you're like oh figured that out that's kind of crazy all right yeah i figure if you're not learning in your craft every day you're probably doing something wrong right right? you know um yeah i don't know but so okay so i guess i guess my question is then is are the are the members of your family as obsessed about their craft as you are about yours i know that i know that we openly talk about how our spouses are saints right for putting up with us right because we work all the fucking time and that's i mean and that's been a challenge for you up until recently with with rocky with right. your with your yeah, partner absolutely, now absolutely because she is also quite obsessed and with her art she is and i've and i've learned along the way after you know many many failed relationships due to my obsessive work you know functions that you know take some time you know and do you know like which is which is something and smell the gerbil sherbet right (laughs) well which is which is something which is something new to observe in you yeah because uh you know but, but before you and rocky got together i know it was just just grinding all day, every single yeah. day, sleeping for a couple of hours. You know, I would see you, you know, I would see you after a, a long series of projects and you're just like bloodshot eyed, just like yeah. slurring from exhaustion. Yeah. Just like, you know, and, and and we'll talk about that a little bit when we talk about the painting that you did sure, for the Thieves sure, Thunder sure. album cover. But when you and Rocky went to Argentina together, yeah. you barely worked when you right, were down there. Correct. You went down and had like an actual vacation yeah, yeah. and spent, what, two weeks in Argentina? Three yeah, weeks in Argentina? Yeah, three weeks, something like that. How yeah. much work did you do when you were down there? I drew her dad a, a drawing, and that that was pretty much it. No, it was take it in and, and you know... You know, I was meeting her family and and being in a country I've never been in, you know, right. a city that was fascinating. So we were just doing stuff all the time. I didn't even think about it. Now, see, and I was going to ask I drew, that, like, I drew, you... on, I drew on the whole like, fi- you know, fifteen hour flight, you know, non stop, right. you know, but like I don't know if this happens for you, and I don't know if it happens for Terry and Logan and Gordo, but. I find that I have to actively like shut that off when I'm in leisure time or family time. Uh, it, it does, yeah, absolutely. Because, because otherwise, I become irritable and uh, like 
my mind is somewhere else on a project right. when I'm sitting there trying to be present with someone and I can get a little bit prickish because I'm like, all I'm thinking about is how I want to get this thing done so I can close the loop on yeah. it. Yeah. No, it's you know super what I mean? key. It's super key to shut that off when you're just trying to have family time or do something, you know, you right. know, um, I have a very hard time with that. I've always got some kind of sketchbook pen around me, you know. But I also enjoy what I do, and that's why I do it 15 hours a day, 20 hours a because day. Because it's depending. fun. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy it a lot, you know. And I take on a lot of stuff. So, but I also started doing this thing like five years ago where I would go to – and this wasn't a conscious thing, and it's not – it's one of those dreams where you can, you know, you're dreaming, so you lucid, jump around. Yeah, it's not dream. that. It's I go to sleep thinking about a project, and I plan the whole thing out in my head: how to Creative mix the paint, how to do, how to do everything. I would call that lucid. Dreaming. And then, and then I wake up, and I can go and do and go right to it because I know what paper I need. I know what imagery I'm going to draw. I'll draw literally draw the picture, plan the paint size it and do all that in While my sleep asleep. and then wake up and just go and do it. That's a fucking superpower, man. That's, man, it's super crazy. Cool. And it started about five years ago, yeah. you know, and it's something you can develop. I've, I've read about other people doing that. It sounds it's, like it is it so, sounds an awful lot like creative visualization. Tesla I, it, used to do that. It is so fucking helpful, man. Oh yeah. But now here's the scary part is a couple times I call it like I glitch out and like, for example, I had to do this bumblebee painting for this thing, and, like, I went to bed, and I was like, you know, I'm thinking about it, and I sleep, and I start creating the shape of the, the bumblebee, and then I start painting it in my mind, and I just painted the same side, the same fucking bumblebee for fucking four hours straight, and I woke up so tired and pissed. I was like, oh, and that's happened a couple times, but far more times, it's it's totally... It works. Too. No, I've and, and I've, I've, used, I've the heard computer, of artists being able to do Adobe that. Illustrator. When I build the posters in, and maybe it's a computer thing because it's simpler. I, I don't know, but I can really do that. You know, I'm laying there, I'm thinking about the tools and and the layers and how to move things around and to accomplish whatever I want to do with the illustration. I need to draw the illustration that I'm going to scan in and vectorize and color and all these different parts so I can put them in layers to make them different things. And then you wake up and you're like, okay, go do it now, instead of like sitting at the table thinking about it. Right. Which is super helpful. But with the glitching out part, it sucks. Yeah, I'll bet. Painting the same side of the same fucking thing. No, I've heard. It's kind of terrifying. I've heard of that happening. It sounds and, like a waking nightmare. <laughs> dude, it sounds like a black mirror shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's, um, I've, I've read several things which have talked about. Uh, if you've got a project that you're working on, you can spend some time meditating on it before you go to bed. And then whether you're conscious of it or not, your unconscious mind is going to work on that on that piece. Now, it sounds to me like it's it's very vivid for you when you're having that experience when you're asleep. But I've like I have had songs before or ideas or projects that I've been working on or problems and then taking the time to review those problems before bed and then woken up and and uh, felt more confident about being able to work through that project, sure, you know, sure. had things worked out. There's sure. actually been research where they took babies. And they just took them. 
They just took them from people and, and put the them babies. in a sack. Not, and not, not the babies. No, they took they took babies, <laughs> and uh, you know these are like these are like one to two year old little children, little toddlers and and below, and taught them how to put a glove on a mannequin. Okay, like taught them just taught them a simple rudimentary task like putting a glove on a mannequin, something like that. And they took one group and had them do the task before taking a nap and then had the other group do the task after taking a nap and then had them do the task again um, later on. What they found is that the infants who or the, the toddlers who did the task and then took a nap and then tried to do it again. Uh, did it with greater um, accuracy, competency, speed, yeah, competency, yeah, greater competency okay. than the ones who did it after they took a nap, huh. because they went to sleep and their conscious mind shut off, and their unconscious went and processed and integrated all the information that came in from doing the task. So, like, there's <clears throat> what you're doing is like what I think geniuses throughout the ages that we always like kind of consider to be outliers in these these you know freaks of nature like Einstein and Tesla they did that stuff because they knew how to use that mechanism that all of us have the ability to access if that makes sense like you do that without without even probably realizing that you're doing it hmm. You know what I mean? That's without the, without mushrooms. Without mushrooms. Right. Well, he did plenty of mushrooms at one point in his life. I did. Well, sure, did. we all did. Right. Man, it was weird being back in like the early my early twenties, and like we didn't eat just like a cap and a stem. We ate like a fucking quarter bag of mushrooms. That's insane, man. Right. And it's I don't know if it's because I don't. Yeah, I don't know if it's because I didn't. It's called sitting around the house, That's called Tuesday, Dude, man. But yeah, no, it's super crazy, man. Yeah. Like a whole fucking bag. Where now, you know, you could just eat a few caps and stems. And you're and like, fucking, oh, I'm a little high. Oh, this is great. Or fucking trip, you know, yeah. depending how potent they are. But I just remember eating handfuls. Of shit, you know, like... Trying to get as much mushrooms in your oh, head as you possibly Jesus, could. Dude, so to that point, um, and, and this is just a quick aside, and we've gone down several rabbit holes here. Oh, but, boy. Uh, but how, how do you feel about the... Uh, like, with your experience with mushrooms, how do you feel about the decriminalization initiative? I don't care. You don't care? <laughs> do you, now, do I don't you, do them anymore. Right. I don't really do drugs anymore. You know, you don't do them any less. Well, <laughs> actually, quite a bit less. You know, touring was pretty rowdy, and I was, you know, as I was discovering my arty self, you know, right. when I was younger, you know, it was like we used to have a drawer on the bus that was dedicated. Oh God. For- for the drugs, <laughs> like, yeah, it was our it was our ice machine yeah. above. I all it had was drugs that I would we'd collect all over the road and sharpies and dig through there and find bags of everything. So that know? so that actually brings us back around. So you know, I, I wanted I wanted to give some background and some context. So so back to like the formation and inception of or conception of Granny Tweed. Yeah. So. Terry, where do you come into all this? 
He woke okay, up. so I had been touring with the Dwayne brothers. So you had been touring with the Dwayne brothers. You yeah. were their you were their front of house sound engineer. Is that what you did, or did you play? Well, with... oh, no, I never played with them. In fact, I wasn't a musician until that chapter of my life was over. I had never really. I mean, I played trombone in the high school band and had some interest in bass as a kid, but never actually got one of my own. But you would play on mine because it was always in the house. I would when I moved in with Josh. To facilitate being on tour, he had all of those instruments around, and that was kind of gave me the ability to get them into my hands, and I sort of self-taught, I guess I would say. So then what were you doing on tour with the Dwayne brothers? So this is actually kind of a crazy story. When the way I came about to be with the Dwayne brothers was I was underage and worked as the door guy for the bar in Emporia, Kansas, where we had all met. Like, I was just the guy. They always played at the bar, and I kind of knew him from that. Josh used to come in there and draw sometimes. And that's also actually where my nickname of Tuesday came from. They had a special on Terry Tuesdays. Everything was $2, and that's how Josh came to know me as Terry Tuesday, and I've been that ever since, it feels like. I love that. That is great. Yeah, it's super <laughs> Any, cool. Anyway, this bar closed down one night. Like, I showed up for work, and they were like, hey, don't come tomorrow. We're going to be closed. And I was like, oh, okay, how long are you closed? And they're like, no, we're closed. Like, bar's done. We're closed. Right. And I was like, oh, great. Awesome. Thanks for the advance warning, you know. Right. And, you know, I was 20 at the time, and I knew that the Dwayne brothers were playing at another bar across town. So, obviously, I didn't work my shift that night. I was like, fuck you guys. And walked over to their show, and they were leaving for New Orleans the next day. And I was recently out of a job. I wasn't in school at the time, and I'd never been to New Orleans. So I just asked if I could come along. And I don't know if they thought I was completely serious or not, but they told me to meet them at the bus the next day, and I did. And I went and sold merch for them for a tour and drove the bus. I was not a sound person at this point. So is this is this like the beginning of your foray into the music world? One hundred percent. You do it professionally. Yeah, yeah. and it, so it just kind of came about by necessity that I was on tour with them and doing the merch and stuff, and I I'm naturally inclined to figure out technical things. Like, You're curious about I, yes, technology. I I will tinker with things that have wires. I take shit apart and put it back together and all of that stuff. So it just kind of came about naturally that I started running sound for them, and then it snowballed into an actual career. You go to you go to enough shows where there's nobody running the board, and there's a piece of equipment to play with, and yeah. having somebody who doesn't know what they're doing can be better than not nobody at all. You know, right? And right. I was available. I was familiar with their songs and cared enough to worry about it like right, and i right. was there i was just in the audience anyway so i might as well twiddle some knobs you know and uh the tweedly person knob man yeah. the twiddly knob person yeah so it, it, yeah. Worked it makes out. all the difference it but it, wor- yeah we're here. from, from that from that us. initial tour though i just kind of worked my way into their business model i guess yeah. like i was that was the first time you'd done any touring that was the first time that was the you'd first like time sold I had, merch for a band that was the ver- really pretty much the first time i had left kansas without you know my parents on vacation or something like that this was when i was you know 20 i was 20 it yeah. was my first so yeah that was my first and we went to new orleans and i really really enjoyed my time and uh yeah it worked oh the bus broke down in new orleans and I was able... Now, was this a Nightliner that you guys were on? Like like a full-size no, bus? This was no, a Bluebird. Yeah, so what we did... Oh, like when a Bluebird we were, school yeah, bus. Yeah, when we were Loco Machine, cool. when we were Loco Machine, we had a van trailer. 
And then we were like, how do we make the most out of, you know, how do we make the most out of being on the road for, because we were doing, we would do two month, month long, two, two month long tours. Right. 300 dates a year. Yeah. Yeah. Really? No, yeah. Upward, for ye- 275 dude, to 300. Fucking, yeah. Like for years. Constant touring. For years. Wow. Like two days off back on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Like just enough time to take a nap, wash your laundry, kiss your girlfriend that's going to break up with you because you're leaving <laughs> and, and leave again, you know? And, and, and like Terry, um, I don't know. I got all excited about, oh yeah, that as he is starting to travel with us and starting to become our sound guy, our band was getting more popular too on the right. road and doing all this. I mean, if you go to the same, you know, cause we toured smart, man, we'd, you do loops and you'd go around through right. these cities and states. So in a few months, you're bam right back there, and then you're bam right back there, and the people you're hitting them over. You're, and you're over making and over friends, again. and they're they want your new merch, you know, and they all this stuff, and it build and build and build. And so as he's as we're becoming a better and more popular band, he's becoming a really good sound guy. So as the shows got bigger and better, or even if they were smaller and we were using our own equipment, they sounded really good, right? You know, until we drank too much. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but you're, I mean, you're... <laughs> or you're... took mushrooms and couldn't figure out the PA, so we just played acoustic by the oh, yeah. Why by are my bar. Why are my fingers flying off into the audience? Oh, like, no. <laughs> so, so, man, that's crazy. And, yeah. And, and yeah. now, just like, now, like, you... You are a professional front of house sound engineer, right? Yeah, like that's that's what you do. You work for Appaloosa, is that who you work? That's for? correct. I mean, technically, I'm freelance, but that's where that's your main ninety nine percent of my gigs are at the Appaloosa. I handle. I you know, it's even to the point where if someone else needs to be there, I'm the one who they call. Like I'm in charge of the sound people staff. There. Right, like. You got to go through me if you want to work there. Have you done more touring, like it, with with other bands as a as a itinerant engineer since like doing this with with the Dwayne brothers? No, I pretty much had gotten my fill of that with my time with the Dwayne yeah, brothers. Yeah, three hundred dates a year for years and years. That's that's why I don't miss touring anymore. Right. I like a you know, Granny. We'll go out for a week, a week and a half. You know, we've done a... It, and that's plenty. Oh, fuck. Yes, it is. Dude, it wears on you. It's yeah. a lot. Yeah, I just don't want to... And now with the gallery and, and my art stuff, and he's got gigs here, you know, like, we just can't go out like we used to. Plus, I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> you know, the other thing is, is, I don't know... I don't know how we survived it. And oh, I know, it was I know every barely... band that goes on tour says that, right. so I'm not saying anything new to your listeners or to you guys, but you know... The, the, well, we never toured like that. The stuff that happened. Well, did you go and do all kinds of freaky shit? Oh, yeah. Okay, now multiply like another that. fucking six weeks onto that. Right. Every oh, dude, I mean, night, when we know? would go out for two to three weeks, we would come home just like wanting to hang ourselves. So I can only imagine what you felt like playing every single night, 300 dates out of the year yeah. for years at a time. Like, it's just... Like yeah. draining the the like every possible feel good chemical out of your brain. Like I can oh, imagine sure. it. Yeah. And you guys lived together also. So right. once, yeah. once you were done touring, you still just went back to the same house. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Josh hey. and I were pretty much in constant contact for about eight eight or nine years. Yeah. They were gone so much from their house that G C D C had a party at their house while they weren't there. Yeah. 
<laughs> Who's yeah. JCDC? That was Gordo's Bluegrass Band. Oh. And, right. and Chicken Dinner also, yeah. the original bass the original. player of Granny Tweed. Right. So, okay, so let's talk about... Man, that's fucking crazy. I didn't realize that you guys toured that much. Now, real quick, now now this is something that you know, you're talking about like how you like going out for the week at a time type of stuff. Right. But we kind of like we like going for 10 days to 2 weeks tops anymore. Sure. You know, and I'm I kind of feel like play, unless unless there's some like like total outlier circumstances where you're playing a festival or a support slot with with a bigger band that has a built-in crowd, it almost seems like playing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, even Sunday night is almost a waste of time anyway. Like you're not you're not. Do you see a lot of long-term benefit for the Dwayne brothers who are still touring because of the? excessive amount of touring well, you guys did? first of all, they all have children now. Right. So they're, they don't do that. They just were coming out, you know. Well, but do they, do they still have a strong following because of the work that you I, guys did? Yeah. The relationships we built in those times were deep. And, like, And that's how they got on this. That's how they did this four or five day run they did is because a bar wanted them we were the first band to ever play at the Tommy Knocker in Creed, Colorado, and oh, they wow. and they were having their twenty year anniversary, and they wanted us back. Oh, cool! You know, and them, they wanted them back. Yeah, we didn't go, but but you know, it's like you know, in order to get babysitters and rent a van, we're going to need this insane price. But then we'll go, and there were there were those old fans there, you know, and right. that's how they just did that little circuit we would do, you know, the Colorado Springs, the Salida. The Denver and back home. You know? And I think that's where the benefit of doing those Tuesdays and Wednesdays came in because, sure, there weren't a lot of people at the shows. We didn't make much money, but we would, it was always one of our goals to be friends with the staff of the bars right. and people that we were going to because they're the ones you're definitely going to see again. Right. That's hugely important. Yeah. So those are the people you're going to hang out with when you come into town and people are actually coming to see and you. And they send yeah. a good word up the pike to the management or whoever right. does. And that's know. where those build those lasting relationships are built and they even affect Granny Tweed to this day. Sure. Like we have... You can make a phone call to people that you built relationships with back yeah. in the Absolutely. Days. And you know, we still go back to Eau Claire all the time, which is discovered by us for the Dwayne brothers, and there's it's like going to visit family. Do you guys um do you guys know who Martin Atkins is? Like he uh he was in Public Image Limited, he uh it was in Pig Face, he um he he's kind of known as like he's sort of a uh, music business like independent music business educator oh, now yeah. and okay. and guru type of guy. He's he's kind of a loud obnoxious British dude but really really insightful. Wrote a great book called Tour Smart. Um you know, it, it does a lot of great stuff on his website and uh, he's kind of a consultant that you can you can hire and have you can have him come out and do actual presentations or you can uh, get an email exchanges with him or I actually paid him for a phone consultation once. And one of the pieces of advice he gave me, this is like way back when we were thinking of rebranding the band and changing our band name. And we had, you know, so many people had come in and out and it just wasn't the same band anymore. And I had a lot of apprehensions about changing the name because of all the work that we had put in over the years. And the point that that he made to me that like was really the turning point was he said he said even if you were 
even if you stopped playing in a band and you were a garbage man tomorrow, the people that you know at all these clubs are still going to take your call. Yeah. He's like, the, even, even if you got out of the music business tomorrow, you could call so-and-so in Seattle or you could call so-and-so in Austin, Texas or so-and-so in this town and they'll take your call and you could go visit them and hang out or they, they could get whatever your new band is a show. That is not going to go away. Yeah. And I think that's because you hear so many bands that complain about – Oh, and we played, and it was just us and the sound guy and the fucking bartender. And it's like, you and the sound guy and the bartender, if you play your cards right, can go party together and be friends for the next 30, 40, 50 years. Of course. Yeah, definitely. You know? And and I think that that's maybe for people who are listening to this and are thinking about doing touring or getting disheartened about touring or, or their position and the world of that business that we're that they're in that is definitely something that I think I would have liked to have heard many years before I got the opportunity to hear it I agree entirely um because I think that we did execute that like Terry said because I mean we literally these weren't just you know venue owners they became friends like Close I mean, like friends. probably eighty percent of the places that we would play, we would go and eat at their house, stay at their house. They'd know our birthdays, you know. They'd, I mean, right? I mean, it was very. They'd could they'd fly out to Kansas to see us play uh, some show with somebody that they also, right. you know, what I'm saying? It's and then like they'd stay it's at like Fawns and Tim. Yeah, and, exactly. It was and that friends thing. of ours who fly out and come see us in yeah, different places. Yeah, and like it was, it was, you know, God, and, and you end up. Kind of sharing in some of their success as time goes on, too. Like JJ in Emporia would be an example yeah. of that. A good friend and was always a huge proponent of the band. And now he has a venue back there. And when we come through, he hooks us up, gives yeah. us a great show, and awesome. pays us way above the board for what we do. And Right. Well, as as your character arc is developing, theirs is, too. Yeah. You know, yeah. independently of yours. So. You are out working your career and growing and going through your trials and tribulations, and then they are off living their own life and growing and furthering their careers. Exactly. And 10 years later, you find yourself at a certain level, and they find themselves at a certain level. And because you have that, that that's why you kind of see this old boys and girls club in the music business, mm -hmm. where like, you know, big metal bands come into town, or, or, or big bands of whatever genre come into town. And all the people that we know who have been working on the crew side are hanging out with bands like Mastodon when they come to town. Because when they were first touring, there was like, you know, they weren't playing these, they weren't playing Red Rocks. Yeah. They weren't playing these massive venues the first mm -hmm. time they came through. Sure. They were playing these smaller clubs, and these people were running sound and doing lights sure. at the smaller clubs. Yeah. And then they, they kind of grow up together in the business. It's it's fascinating to watch, and it's it's definitely important to have that that level of effective forecasting when when you're developing your career and when you're when you're making a decision in the moment how to relate to someone and how to treat someone. That directly um, 
had benefits my art career separately too because we're paying 250 300 shows a year for eight years and i made a new poster for every single show that we played so you're just grinding on art yeah every yeah day. yeah i mean i'm right we're writing i'm drawing the illustrations that are going to go on the poster for the next tour so when i get home i scan them in build the poster send them off next, out of curiosity how much tour. do you draw a week like how many hours a week do you draw i don't no. Try. I, I think answer that them, question in reverse. It'd probably be easier. Like, how many, how many hours, hours are you not drink, drawing? Yeah, Pretty not much. drinking. Were you about to say not drinking? <laughs> that was just a Freudian slip. Just because I've been drinking. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know when I'm not when I'm sleeping. I guess I don't. How I don't many hours know. a night do you sleep? Three to five, probably. Jesus. But here's the deal. But then there are days where I just take two days and I just fucking lay in bed and watch cartoons and nap and then sleep like a motherfucker and sleep like 15 hours and then like get up and just fucking boom, you know, just go into a coma. Yeah. Yeah. I go into like a coma, you know, and, 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 but that's that. But, you know, we did a show somewhere. I don't know. And I made, and we, I think we went back to this place many times, um, and whoever was the production manager for the for the the club there really liked my art. Ended up going to Hollywood, getting involved in Sons of Anarchy stuff, and that's how I created artwork for their live tours of the television show would do. Right. Because that dude yeah. called me and was like, hey, remember right. me from this club? And I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> and 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 it was, you know, da-da-da-da, you know? And it's those little kinds of things where that guy could have been from fucking Minneapolis. I don't know. And then he ends up in Hollywood and still right. hires me from fucking you never know. dipshit party posters I made, you know? You never know where people are going to end up, man. Yeah, and it's fun. And that's that's one thing that we always did. I mean, it was, it was always make buddies, mm-hmm. smile, make as much money as you can, you know, they'll tip us, you know. You know, that kind of thing. I mean, it's only things like hickey butt that, oh boy. that we, that we you <laughs> know, we're like, yeah, we're not going back there. What's hickey butt? Well, uh, do you want to hear the song? No. Okay. <laughs> it was, uh, What's the hickey butt song? So hickey butt is a game that we discovered in a little town called Ponca City, Oklahoma. Okay. And we went to an after party. Yes, we were at an after party <laughs> and... It was two brothers. It was two brothers. And this is getting good. They were biting each other on the ass. Bare ass. Like trying to give each other the biggest hickey on their ass. And that's how they were entertaining themselves brother on this brother. particular evening. Brother on brother hickey butt. <laughs> brother on brother. And as soon as that, it was just like, yo, and man, this, this let's entire get the fuck out of here. Party. Like, let's take these no, guys seriously. back to our place and we're going to show them our special game. Yeah. And it's like, the one that dad taught us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so this party still to this day, when I run into the the right people, gets talked about because it bred an entire album. Yeah. We were on tour with the band Oakhurst, who coincidentally is the owners of the venue that I work at now, the Appaloosa Grill. And we were on tour together. And after we left this insanely Oklahoma Oklahoma party, <laughs> we went we went to it after we left that we went to a Texas farm. And Parked our two tour buses and stayed there for four or five days, maybe. And just wrote this whole album. And Terry wrote the song Hickey Butt. And there was all <laughs> kinds. 
you know? acapella. Yeah, yeah, and there was all kinds of. I mean, but give, was, us, give us a little hickey butt. Come on, dude. The words are great. Just tell them the words. Um, so yeah, it's it's brief. It's more of a jingle than a song. Yeah, it's, it's a jingle. Hickey all right. butt, hickey butt. It's a fun game. Hickey butt, hickey butt. Here's how it's played. Bite, bite my, my butt. butt. Bite my butt. Leave, leave a, a big bruise. bruise. Hickey butt, hickey butt, small mouth will lose. Oh, yeah. Okay, thank Josh. <laughs> yeah. Dude. And, yes. Uh, you know and what you'd be really good at? You'd be a good hickey butt player. Hickey yeah. butt. You're natural. Because yeah. that's how it's like, hickey butt, hickey butt. It's a okay. fun game. That's that as hard as I'm going with it. Oh, <laughs> dude. Dude, wow. from now on, every time I see someone with, like, a large mouth, I'm going to refer to them as like a hickey butt champion, dude. Yeah. yeah. It's like, God. hickey butt MVP. Yeah, but it was definitely one of those. You know, in the... The World Series of Hickey Butt. In the com- in the comic book that I drew for you, the, the page where you're all running towards the van, like, get in the fucking van! Right, right, right. That's what that's the image that comes to mind when these guys started sucking on each other's butts. <laughs> these two brothers, they were brothers, started doing this. I was like, let's get the fuck out of dude, here. Dude, and they probably... they. Like, they probably had never considered that it was weird. They're like, oh, sure it's a not. fun game that we used to play growing oh, up. And their, Hickey Butt. Their, and their I mean, early was... 60s mother was there, too. Oh, yeah. And she requested that they turn down the Limp biscuit. And his response was, fuck you, Mom. If it's too loud, you're too old. But screamed <laughs> it in her face. And she was the sweetest woman that I've yeah. ever, like, was, she was so nice. She brought us wow. a, a sandwich tray. Like, it was oh, it was man. bizarre. They had a funnel, uh, funnel that you peed through Yeah, that went from the inside <laughs> yeah. to the outside. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, we tried to do that in our van once. Yeah, that's yeah. not a good idea. It goes everywhere. Yeah, yeah it goes all over the place. Yeah. It's not a smooth delivery. <laughs> okay. It can be done. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how we ended dude, up there. So but. before I Hickey Butt. Out, well, hold on. So to get back to the bus real quick. Yeah. I don't think, I don't, we got off that. Because I want to tell this P story. Oh, uh, this is a good one. I, uh, uh, it's, I mean, it's just whatever. I'm sure a lot of people have done it. But so we took this, when we all decided we were going to quit our jobs, we're Loco Machine and, and the Dwayne Brothers with these two bands in one. We buy a, a fucking used school bus. We, we don't do it if you're thinking about yeah, doing don't it. Yeah, do don't do it. You guys did the school bus. Yeah, we did. Idea. We completely okay. gutted it. You know, I painted the sky all inside the thing. We built bunks and 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 seating and all this. You did the whole thing that like many bands talk about doing. Right. And we did it. And and because diesel was cheaper and we're like this would be great. The second we bought it and started converting it, diesel doubled and went up. Uh, and it was just like, holy oh, no. fuck. And f- yeah, and it takes a gallon just to move it out of the fucking parking lot. Right, you right. Know? right. Yep. It's just yeah, like, you're looking, you're look, you might as well just throw a $5 bill out the window every mile. Yeah. Oh, my but God. It was, but it was, it was cool for, for the camaraderie. We wrote a lot of songs sitting in there as we're tooling down the road doing right. shit. But yeah, I had to pee one night, and so we did the school bus. Was it the school bus or the new bus? It was the school. The new bus didn't have the right door. Oh right, right. And it was. I was just like, "Fuck it!" Open the doors. So the driver just opens the door, going fucking sixty down the highway, and I'm like peeing, hanging on, trying not to <laughs> fly out of this bus. But there's that. Did you get piss all over yourself? I don't. Probably. I have no idea. I don't remember. I remember the first tour we ever. He was already went on. covered in piss. Before yeah, we, even we, tried. we had a, <laughs> we had a two liter that we were pissing into. Yeah. And I didn't really. I don't know how I didn't realize this at the age of seventeen, but like for some reason I thought I could piss in the two liter and then open like one of the. 
it wasn't one of the windows that opens all the way up. It was just one of the ones that like has the little boop. Like yeah, it yeah. just kind of opens up at an angle. It's more of a vent than a window. And like for some reason, I thought I could just like put the nozzle down. Yeah, if you go fast enough, the it won't spill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I thought I could do that, and instead, it just sprayed <laughs> yes, yes, all over everyone in the van. And this wasn't this so wasn't gross. just my piss. It was the piss that we had accumulated, <laughs> and I was dumping it because oh. it had gotten full. Oh it was boy, one of those things where we <sighs> told him it was a bad yeah, idea. Yeah, just get a new bottle, just, man. The gears were already working, yeah. so he's just going to do it. And I have an impulse control problem. I always have. Then it hits you, have. and you're like, that is congrats. Like, th- throughout, was throughout our lives growing up together, there's been several moments where it's like, Aaron, don't do that. Aaron, do- Aaron seriously, don't do that. And then... <laughs> And then, and then I done. end up getting beat up because I do something like spray everybody in the van with right. piss. So, um, anyway, Terry. Yes. So, you were you are not the original bass player for Granny Tweed. You I only joined a couple years ago. Yes. So, you went on tour with the Dwayne brothers. You did the front of house stuff. You went on that, you went on that whole journey with them. And then, what happened... In the gap between the end of that relationship, the beginning of Granny Tweed, and how you ended up being in the band now, because um, it seems like it would it would have been a natural progression for you to just be in that band right when it started. Except that I wasn't a musician. You weren't at a the musician time. at that point. Um, so and we yeah. woke him up from a nap, so he wasn't really that happy with us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, and it was it was Rob Chicken Dinner's deal. Like he's a great bass player and had the thing. It just kind of naturally happened. I mean, for a while there, Josh was living in Brooklyn, and I had decided to move to Denver. And so I was doing my thing there. I had the job at Appaloosa, so I was just living out here doing my thing um, and had been kind of developing my skills as a bass player, like had actually gotten one and was working and practicing and learning how to play. You started playing when you moved out here? Sort of, yeah. I mean, there was some strange transitional periods where I was like partially living in California and when I was in California there was it was extremely rural and there was nothing else to do so that was kind of my outlet was Mm -hmm. I was teaching myself bass I guess um I don't know and then eventually though we all migrated to Denver Gordo and Josh both had decided to move here too I had already been living here for about a year or so and Rob was supposed to come, but then he didn't. His his situation changed, and he wasn't able to make it out here to live. So and, they needed a bass player. And they needed a bass player, okay. and, and they had my number. And I watched him, you know, like you said, we'd already toured together for fucking eight years or whatever. Oh, yeah. So I knew he's totally, you know... Cool dude, he, you know we already Priority know the, number one. He we was already know the ins and outs of getting in a van. Right. You know, I know he's not. I'm, you know, I'm not going to turn to Gordo and be like, "I'm going to kill this motherfucker, dude." Right? Who did we bring on tour? Right? Because his mom's going to need a fucking right. Right? <laughs> you got to be able to hang, and but, we knew we could hang. Yeah, yeah, That's totally. Cool, and and being and being such a gearhead, you know, sound guy, you know, all this stuff. It was just so many benefits, and then watching him. You know, play my basses in the house and know that he's getting his own basses, even though I had moved to New York and after the band had broke up and all this, 
you know, I just knew that the skill level would be there. Yeah, right. I, I had forgotten too. We did. Josh and I also briefly played with Chris Harris and his right. musical Heresies together. Right. We were his original backing band, a country band. Yeah, and okay. I don't know. I think it's probably just because we lived together and spent so much time together, we work really naturally together yeah. as far as developing. Right sounds and stuff like that goes we typically know where the other one's gonna go with something right and uh i don't know it's uh, yeah now now you guys you guys kind of just very lightly touched on on the moving the moving to denver part right but you came out here like a couple years before gordo came out yeah i did i went there in 2012 and then terry didn't even join until even a couple years after that right so Am I to understand that Granny Tweed has mostly been a, cor- a long distance correspondence project? Absolutely, the whole time it's been for at going least on. half its life. Yes, yeah. So would, how has that worked? Well, like, here's how it worked. Stick to the plan. Yeah, which <laughs> is don't you know? Don't mess with the formula. Don't mess. Is that what that's it, is? it. Oh, that's, that's what it, it is. Yeah. I couldn't even remember my own saying. Yeah, yeah. Don't mess with the formula. What's the formula? Don't don't do anything. Just just don't. Just, just don't. Um, here's the deal. Like. Like, we started the band in Kansas when I lived there, and then I moved to New York. So I would fly back once or twice a year and record an album or play some shows for three or four days, and then I wouldn't see these guys for eight or nine months. Right. You know? So, and I didn't know. Are you writing everything at this point? Yes, sir. And, And I've got, I don't have a drum kit. In New York, because we lived on a shelf, you know, <laughs> you know, and like we lived in a shoebox. Yeah, no, seriously, and and so I'm not playing drums at all until I fly back, and I'm already a new drummer, anyways, you know, and I fly back, and it's like, okay, I've got to learn drum stuff. Keeps it raw, keeps it authentic. And then when I moved from New York, I moved to Denver. So now after a few years of being long distance and only playing literally a few weeks a year, honestly, right? it starts over again because I moved to Denver and it's closer. So it was easier to do. Maybe. I mean, know, I saw maybe you guys I, become more active after. Yeah. After. Well, uh, they could they could drive out here. I could fly back, the, you know, to, to Kansas and we could do a week and then I'd come back to Denver and then they'd come out. Yeah. So that made it a lot easier. Right. But we were a long distance band for five or six years, you know, where if you were to add it up, it's like in five or six years, we probably only played a few months, you know, honestly. So what is what has been the difference since you guys are actually, because you guys actually have practice once a week now. Right, right yeah, and when Gordo moved here, um, we started writing a bunch of stuff together because we because right. there was that rocket space that was right by Cabal. Right. And uh, yeah, the South Broadway. Location, right, right. Right. And, and we would go over there and just write and piece things together several times a week. Right. And then we started just practicing in my gallery, in my art gallery too, which made it super easy. Cause we just, you know, our gears there. And then when Terry joined, we had to reteach. We had to teach him all of our tunes while we're writing tunes together. So we're practicing all the time and writing, and that's when we made up for all that lost right time. But you guys, you guys kept the you guys kept the relationship going for how many years before you were all in the same city? Like you kept, at least six. You guys were a band for six years before you all lived in the same city. 
Uh, probably. Well, when did yeah. you move here? I mean, 2015. So you, so Gordo, you moved here. You moved here with specifically just to do Granny Tweed, right? Or you needed a that change? That was a big or? part of it. That was a big part of it. Yeah, both both my wife and I needed a change. Okay. Yeah, the significant events had taken place in our lives that was. Yeah, we just we needed to do something different. And what does your wife do for a living again? She's an instructor. She's a like like a like a school teacher she's, or she's actually a coach, like a teaching teacher, coach. Teacher. Yeah, oh, she, she, she teaches, teaches teaching. teachers. She teaches teaching at the teaching place. Right. She does that. She 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 works at the school school. Right? She does. Yeah, she it's does. the school for schools that teaches teachers to teach. I just kind of picture her walking into a room full of teachers and just being like, "Listen up, you fuck. <laughs> Think you know teaching? You don't know shit. If only it were that easy. Yeah, right." Man, I wonder. Like, do, do do a class full of teachers act like a class full of children? <laughs> Folding paper. You have yeah, no idea. <laughs> but she like knows all the tricks because she's a teacher. Teacher. Do you think that yeah, there's I mean, just a massive pile of apples up on her desk? She, she has a. She, <laughs> does your we, wife we hate like apples? apples? The dad oh, joke, man. How does your wife like them apples? That's the real question. Uh, oh my god! Dude. And with that, anyway. we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk to you guys about this Dead Milkmen show. Yeah. Um, I because, man, I missed your set, and it was. Such a fun show, and I heard such great things about your set, and I just want to, I want to unpack that and talk about it. So okay. we're gonna take a quick break, ventilate the room, get all the farts and armpits out of here, and uh, go we'll find be a bottle right to back. pee in. Yeah, go find a bottle to pee in and spray all over everybody, just for old times' sake. We'll be right back. <laughs> ah. All right, and we're back. Going to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. First of all, Matula Plumbing. Matula. Des Plaines, Illinois. Shit rolls downhill. Don't be at the bottom. Your number two is our number one priority. Your shit is our bread and butter master of poopers himself, Jerry Matula. Angie's List winner. Angie's List Super Service Award winner back in 2011. He'll wear the booties for you. Tell Jerry the boys sent you. Does he do nationwide work, I wonder? Like, I mean, I wonder if we have gotten Jerry Matula even one customer by giving him shout-outs on the podcast. We've probably gotten him one. You think we've gotten him one by now? I uh, I tag Matula Plumbing in a lot of stuff, and I like kind of watch to see if the likes are going up at all. I think he's got like forty nine, so I'm gonna have to watch next week to see if he like crosses into the fifty barrier. You know, Uh, thenugnation.com. Ounce for ounce, the best homegrown comedy in years. The motherfucking podcast is recorded here at the beautiful Nug Nation Studios in Denver, Colorado. Be sure to go to the NugNation.com to see the Nugs in their wacky adventures through the town of Nugville. <laughs> and uh, and you may know us most famously from our, our recent collab with the one and only Billy Ray Cyrus. Look it up on YouTube, Angel in My Pocket by Billy Ray Cyrus. That was a fun one. TheNugNation.com. Check it out. Evergroove Studio in Evergreen, Col- Evergroove Studio in Evergreen, Colorado. 
Uh, man, best studio there is. Professional, uh, helpful, fact. staff, fact. Uh, producing engineers, and solar-powered, believe it or not, up in the Shadow Mountain region of Evergreen. Go, uh, go tell Brad and Jenny the boys sent you and talk to them about your next project. Would you? Rocket Space Rehearsal Studios, <laughs> the official rehearsal space of motherfucking Ruckus and every other band that ever there was. Rocket Space, you ain't got to carry shit. Flipside Music on South Acoma Street in Denver, Colorado. All our sponsors are in Denver. That's the only people we could agree, get to agree. I was just what about Matula Plumbing? Oh, yeah. Besides Matula Plumbing. And I guess the Nug Nation is international. It's worldwide. You were just in Flipside? What did you do at Flipside? I, I bought a cable, and I bought strings. Was it a good cable, and were they good strings? Excellent. What Excellent you say quality. Your experience was like in there. It was great. Yeah, I, I, I went in there without a hat on, and Ike saw me in a new light. He he said, "I didn't know you were a brother." <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know you were a bald guy. He didn't know. And I said, yes, yes, I am a bald a man. Brother? <laughs> I didn't know and then, you were a brother. All of a sudden, everybody started tight? taking their hats off that were standing around. There were a lot of people in the shop that day. And this guy had like long gray hair and a big gray beard. He like slowly took off his hat. He's like, I'm working on an application. <laughs> he was completely bald. Like, Did he take you into a back for, room where they the were having a meeting? No, no, they didn't. They didn't. <laughs> oh, you're finally ready. Had I known... I would have brought you to the the fucking the order of the dome, the the, the order of the baldman, <laughs> the order of the baldman. Flipside music, headquarters, the order of the baldman. Bald who, friendly. Who, who, who am I for? Oh, Mutiny Information Cafe at Two South Broadway in the heart of Denver, Colorado. Books, records, coffee, comic books, live events. Podcasts. This is a Mutiny Transmission, which is a uh, media service division of Mutiny Information Cafe. It's a it's a cultural oasis, an epicenter, if you will, in the heart of Denver. Go check them out. Tell the guys, the guys. Tell the boys, the boys sent you. Tell the guys, the boys. Tell the boys, the guys sent you. Tell them something. Good guys, job. <laughs> Good guys, boys. Who else am I forgetting here? I didn't write everybody down. Patron. Are we? Well, are we to the patrons yet? Because the patrons are last but most. That, right. Who did I leave out? Did I leave anybody out? No, I don't think no, I left anybody no, to out. To my recollection, I think you're Last there. but most, the amazing, beautiful, generous, wonderful people who back us via a small monthly recurrent contribution on patreon.com slash mfruckus. Our patrons get access to exclusive content, early content, pretty much the band feed, gossip, drama, uh, VIP parties, all the goods. They get to see all the stuff. They've seen a lot of your sketches, Josh, before anybody else has gotten to see them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, man. It's cool. Uh, we love hooking our Patreon, uh, our patrons up because our patrons hook us up. Uh, if you want to learn more, go to patreon.com slash mfruckus. It is truly the best way to help us out. So go check it out. Anyway, we're back. We've got Josh and Terry and, of course, Gordo. We've got Hulk Logan here in the booth, and we're going to talk about... Uh, an awesome show that we went to this le- weekend. You guys had the opportunity to not just open, but be sole support for the Dead Milkmen, correct? Correct. Like, there was no other bands on that show. No, it was just, just the two us. of us. Yeah, it was great. Sold out at the Gothic. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable experience. the most fun show I've been to in 
a long, long, long time. So, Logan, you actually got to see the entire show. As an audience member, how was the Granny Tweed set? The Granny Tweed set was great. Um, it was hard because I was there with large people, and we were trying <laughs> to find a place to hang out, you know? And so we tried, like, three or four different areas, and finally we found it. But, yeah, you guys sounded great. Best... Best I've seen. You what guys. were what were some of the highlights of the of the Granny Tweed set for you? For me, yeah. Well, I was also drinking very heavily, so you didn't you know, seem that drunk when I finally the got there. The whole thing was good. <laughs> ah, yes. Oh, yeah. When I finally found, when I finally showed up, you and Melon and Weston and Mac and everybody were way, 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 way up in the absolute mm-hmm. furthest you can get to the back of the building, top back of the building, without being behind the top it, bar. It, it was hard to find somewhere to hang out for all. That was a great know? spot. Oh, it was right by the bar and right by the bathroom. It was yeah. Perfect. Yeah. But, that's uh, going to be my new spot at the Gothic. I was right. telling these guys, like, we've played many shows together at, you know, smaller venues. I don't want to drop any names because, you know, but with shitty, shittier PA systems, you know? Yeah. And hearing you guys basically under a microscope while you were playing was like, these guys are really fucking good. You know? Yeah. I got to give... Uh, big amount of credit to the staff at the gothic they made it very easy for us to outperform our usual abilities yes like they hooked us the fuck up it's that, a great room it is yeah. and the staff there's really 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 good they helped us deal with technical difficulties oh yeah what kind of technical way. difficulties were you dealing with uh dying amplifier Ooh, yeah. bummer yeah she just kept getting quieter oh bummer but no one out there knew no one in the audience knew. I asked several people; they couldn't tell. So was that thanks to the Gothic staff? Would you James, say that that was Steve. the that was the biggest gig that you guys have played? Oh, absolutely, so far. Yeah. yeah. How many people? Were, like, did, I, I'm not sold sure. Out, they, so 1,100 at least. That's their wow. Their cap. Yeah, that's their cap. That's what I. That's that's their cap. But then, I mean, there had to have been more, just due to I don't know guest lists and all the staff and you know there were some people that were there that. I don't know if they were included in the that cap or whatnot. I don't know. How long did you guys get to play for? Forty five minutes. You guys got to do forty five minutes. Yeah. The only other band on the bill with with like a band which has been hugely influential to you. Like so I, all of us. Yeah, I know all three of you guys are huge <clears throat> dead men. Incredible. Yeah. It's true. So okay, let's let's start. I'm you know, I'm probably definitely the most outspoken fan, you know. I think I probably know more about it than than the other guys here. This is true. Them. But, but I mean, I got introduced to them when I was like 10 years old, and they, they never left. Right. I mean, I probably listened to something of theirs daily. He has their logo know? tattooed on his body. Yeah. yeah. On oh. his micro penis. Yeah. Yes. Ah, there it is. There it is. Ding, ding. Finally All got right. there. And, and, it's, <laughs> and it's like, it was, it, was, uh, it was trippy, man. I was so excited to uh, and I have to thank you, Aaron. I was so excited when I saw that they were coming, and immediately started. Well, the first thing I did was I messaged the Gothic and to try and, and get the poster gig. To, yeah, to get the poster gig, and um, which is an I, awesome poster. Thanks. By the way. And I do a lot of I do a lot of work for for AG and AXS and and the Gothic there, so they know my work, and they were like, "Yeah, sure," you know. So I des- and it's the first time that I've ever designed a poster fully, not knowing if it was going to get rejected or not. Right, just and because I, you wanted to do it that bad. Yeah, and I actually did like two or three 
two solid other things, and one of them, like, I was almost done with it, and I was like, ah, it's too busy. And I just did this other one where the dead milkman is unzipping the cow suit and right. colored it, set their font, and, and sent it, and it got accepted. But once I got that and I started messaging around, like, hey, they're coming. This is crazy. Aaron, you were the one that was like, you should see if Granny Tweed... Well, and I was like, oh, yeah, I play in a band, too. We, so well, I messaged them. We've mentioned it on other episodes of the podcast. We legitimately had a discussion about cre- creating a petition for you guys to be on the show. Because I cannot think of a more fitting band to be on that bill. If ever True. there was a perfect Fact. band to be on that Dead Milkman show, it was you guys. Right. Like, I, I really wanted to see that happen. When it did happen for you, I was like, like, I audibly uttered a yes. You know, I was right. fucking excited Me when you too. guys got Me on too. that. And I, you know, and I tried, you know, because I was in direct connection with the production team and everything there through the art and getting our band on the bill, you know. And I'm not going to name names, but I definitely... I petitioned for other bands, you know, like, hey, you should, like, really, you should, you know. But I didn't want to bother them too bad, you know. I wanted to keep our fucking slate clean, you know. But, I mean, I was definitely, like, and I couldn't believe it. These great bands kept getting rejected, like, no, 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 you know. So it's an honor, you know, and it was cool. And Like you were trying to get other bands on the bill that night? Right, because they were looking for another band, and they they didn't go they, with any. They of the didn't go with anybody. Huh. Really? And I don't know if that comes down to oh, we sold enough tickets, the thing's going to sell out. Fuck it, we'll just leave it like this. Or if they just they didn't feel like these groups were a fit, or I don't know what I don't know the inner workings. You know, of it that. could it could it could be a budget thing. It could be yeah. a time thing because uh, Dead Milkman did end up doing a pretty a pretty lengthy set. Yeah. They did. I want to say they did ninety minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm. at least. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, for sure. And and I think you know you're seeing a lot you're seeing a lot more bands that are that are going back to the model of like instead of doing the f- exhausting four band lineup it's like headliner one opener you know reasonable start time reasonable finish time because they know that the people coming out to see the Dead Milkmen are you know old 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 oh yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna church it up a little bit, but yeah, old as fuck. Like we're probably on the younger end of Dead Milkmen fans. When right? we walked in, that was one of the first things I said. I was like, I feel young at this show. Yeah, I thought it was cool seeing how many people were there with their kids too. Yeah, like I had a lot of conversations with, you know, a dad that was there with his daughter, and she wanted to. She just like couldn't believe the entire experience. Cool to see, right. and you know, both of them were interested in the band that was playing. Is is cool to see. I want to say that when Pig Stout came out, uh, Logan and I were still in middle school. It was 96. It was 96 when that album came. So they made their last studio album in 96. And that was kind of like that was the first first album of theirs that I bought and then kind of dove into their deeper catalog after that. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, their fan base is definitely it, 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 like. When did Punk Rock Girl come out? Do you know? Because I was, was on Beelzebubba, so I would say probably eighty seven. Eighty, yeah, I was gonna say eighty eight, maybe. Yeah, eighty eight, wow. somewhere in there. Because I remember, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It was, yeah, I don't know. 
What, so, what was your first introduction to them? Okay, you so you were 10 years Yeah, old? I was like 10, 11, and I remember a girl at school gave me a rat tape, and I brought it home, and my older brother, Johnny, was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he gave me Big Lizard in my backyard, okay. and I can still remember walking around the grade school hallways singing taking retards to the zoo that was and, the first one i ever heard you know and and and, and these other like songs grade, and these other I mean? and these uh, you know singing these and nobody in my small little farm town rural community had any idea about that band you know and since my older stepbrother johnny and, and my older stepbrother joey they were you know seven eight years older than me they went to newton kansas school in newton kansas if you're from halstead that's like the big city Ooh, newton. yeah they had a kmart dad. Yeah, like, <laughs> man i'm was, getting out of here dad i'm moving to, but they to were, that's even bigger big, than Marned. but they were even big were, city lights of newton yeah they i mean so they were these older punk rock kids you know that were like no dude here's this and that's and i remember a few years later joey gave me soul rotation for uh christmas you know, I mean, they're they're those two brothers are directly responsible for giving me Violent Femmes albums, Pixies, Fugazi, They Might Be Giants, right? You know, all these. You know, my girlfriend says they're my Tupperware. You know, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. These bands and this Tupperware, and I still listen to them. Mm-hmm. And I'll listen. I got a box where I put everything else. You know, right, 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 right. But but you know, and it definitely helped shape me. So that's why how. When I started meeting these guys, like, they listened to the same stuff. Right. You know? And even, like, the, you know... The, the influence shows up in, in your stuff. And you know sure. what? And and in Loco Machine, we covered Right Wing Pigeon, you know? And then when we when I got stuck playing that fucking stupid piece of shit instrument, the mandolin, and we had to do this... Uh, you know, we played uh, the thing that only eats hippies. You know, That's a great oh, yeah. one. that was and one of my favorite things about the D Wayne brothers because they played exclusively two hippies and always brought out it. <laughs> that nice. song, right. which was beautiful yeah, in my classy. eyes. That's classy. I love yeah, right. We were asked about the show. A friend of mine hit me up and said, "Would you guys be interested in playing it?" And my straight up response was, "If Granny Tweed's not involved, we don't want anything." Oh it. boy! Well, I mean, wow, dude, that's dude. the Thanks, thing. Man. That's yeah. the thing is, I wow. wouldn't, I wouldn't, like, I could not take that gig in good conscience, knowing that there is a band that I am friends with who are bigger fans and a better fit. It's a, it was a perfect fit, and that's why I said it. I was, yeah, like, dude. You, you know what? I don't think that. I don't think that crowd, like, I don't think diehard Dead Milkmen fans would particularly like our band. I don't band. think so either. But I, I, I think we would have done well, but not... We would have done okay, but not as well as you guys would have done. Like, that was that was a perfect fit. And so, I'm so first of all, I'm curious what the experience was for you guys on your set. How do you feel you played? How did the audience treat you like... Like, what were your nerves like? Just kind of give me the rundown on some of the high points and some of the some of the scary points from from your perspective on stage. Um, well, I'd say the only bad part of it was the hour leading up to actually performing. 
Like just because you were dealing with the the tech problems. No, no, no. That was that all came about during the set. It was just the waiting, like wanting to get. The right. anticipation was way worse than the actual doing of it. Pacing around in the green room. And, right. right. Yeah. Trying to resist the urge to get drunk and, right. and, and all of that stuff. And then, uh, I don't know, once we got out there and, and got through the first even couple of seconds, it was – I was just there to have fun anyway. Right. Yeah. Like, I wasn't trying to put too much importance on it. I just really wanted to have a good time and take it all in, and I I feel like we achieved that. It was super duper fun. We we uh, we did our due diligence and we practiced like fuck to lead up to right. it. I mean, we were we, we were, were tired. We knew what was coming. We knew we had the songs good to go, and I felt like we delivered to the best of our ability, and and it was awesome. I also am like I don't really have stage fright like a right. lot of people do. I'm not. I've never had issues with it so mm. that wasn't a problem but it was a lot of fun it almost felt like an out-of-body experience by the end of it there's a lot of it that i don't even really remember much of but felt like it happened to someone else it was like thing. it was like watching yourself yeah, yeah. it was wow. pretty fun and the crowd was extremely res- respectful and responsive to our style and what we did you know well and- it's a, i mean dead milkman fans are a bunch of sweet nerds man yeah sure you know they're not it's it's not like they're referred to as a punk rock band, but it's not like they're not like studs and leather jackets and hair and no. and fashion show no. and attitude and any of that shit. It's like it's all like super Aspergery, socially awkward, like goofy, yeah. nerdy kids. To me, they embody punk better than any other band. Oh, they're absolutely. To like, me, they're the in, true form. Like the original meaning of punk, which was back in the day, was anything different. Right. Like, like punk wasn't, like television was considered a punk band. Right. The Talking Heads were considered a punk band. Right. You the know? police were considered a punk band Yeah, in before a lot of it got, you know, defined into what it is now. Right. Well, they've, they've uh, you know, and I think this is something that I really latched on to with them, you know, and I like, you know, a handful of other punk bands and stuff, um, but is is you, they just have a songwriting way about them, the way that the rhythm section worked together, the fact that Joe didn't use effects pedals until the later album, so it's right. all just clean guitar all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, right? And it just—they just have a sound about them. Surprisingly you know? tight, too. Yeah. Well, oh, that, I one mean, one of the best rhythm sections ever. Dude, yeah, like, I know? mean, just as a band in general, surprisingly tight and surprisingly, um, a surprisingly fluid set. You know, like they—they they did a lot of really entertaining. Little like you know uh, when they would stop us like at the end when they did the encore and they walked off stage and they came back in to life is shit yeah and then back into whichever one it is that ends with the screaming like like everything swordfish swordfish yeah, yeah. so like everything came. I don't know. It was just tight. They yeah. had really fun live show elements yeah. that that I wouldn't have, have expected. I think it would – I would not have been surprised if I had shown up to that show and they were kind of half-assing it a little bit. Because right. you see a lot of bands that are – 
doing cash grab reunion tours, but they were really tight. They were really good, and they were really considerate in their in their song choices. Yeah, and they, you know, and they they're recording albums again, so they did some of the new stuff. But my God, they did stuff off of most of their albums, I and mean, there were tunes that I didn't expect. Like when we showed up, there were songs I didn't know. For yeah, sure. yeah. When we showed up, like we're at the back door, they're sound checking. And they start with Beige Sunshine and their sound check. And I was like, what the fuck? It's, it's the first song off of uh, their third album, uh, Metaphysical Graffiti. Which or, is a great album. Yeah. And, like, I never expected that. I was like, that's fucking crazy. And that's what they sound checked with, mm-hmm. you know? And then, and that was a trip. Like, I'm standing on the outside of a door in an alley. And my favorite band of all time is sound checking on the stage. We're about to go sound check on. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this is crazy. They gave man. you guys a lot of love on stage, too. They they gave you guys two or three shout outs on yeah, stage and cool. like were very were very gracious about about having you guys on the show, which I thought was very cool. Yeah, it was it was very cool. And we we hung out downstairs. You know, at first we we got our dressing room and they were in theirs and they were practicing songs off of Joe's solo album, Butterfly Joe, and they were practicing the song um I'm a stupid imbecile. And like I you know, I was just so trippy again. They're on the other side of the right. this green room door. There was, a lot, there was a lot of giggling behind doors. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of giggling behind doors. And then once they started talking, I was like, fuck it. I opened the door, and they were like, hey, all right, yeah, you know. No, that's and, what I was going to ask. And then, they... it was inter, then it was intermingle stuff. You know, it was like, yeah, we had the door shut because we were kind of working on this stuff. And I didn't. I wasn't going to be like, yeah, I know you were working on uh, the first song off uh, Butterfly Joe's <laughs> album. You know, uh, you know yada, yada. How were they as people? Awesome. Yeah. Completely inviting, you know. So nice. And one of the only unnerving things about our performance that is now floating back to me was their bass player was in the audience watching the entire show. Like, he wasn't just down in the green room waiting to play. He watched and... He made us a paper airplane. He did. It was a good one. Stealth stealth bomber. You know, that's a a big difference. I got distracted by other issues. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's, that's such a big difference between bands from that world... Who, like, we know who the Dead Milkmen are. We love them. We think they're great. The people that were at the show, you know, it, like, Melon was in tears through most of the uh, show. There, I, there were several so people crying. Yeah. Right. There, a, they were a so lot of happy. my friends were, were crying. It was yeah. very, it but was they emotional. are not, they are not a household name no. to many people. And so the difference between them and then bands that, like, we've played with, because we get lumped into this, like, kind of 80s rehash metal scene sure, a lot of sure, time like sure. we get because we do the the power rock type of stuff we right. get lumped in with a lot of like arena rock bands who are bitter and jaded by the fact that they're playing smaller clubs and doing that circuit and they've got to do it to make a little money the the big difference is you see a band like the dead milkman and they are so thrilled and grateful to be playing for 1,200 people right. at a sold-out show and to see that much appreciation as opposed to these other bands who are disappointed and bitter because they used to play these giant arenas and now they're playing Fred's Bar and Grill down right. in Tuscaloosa. You know right. what I mean? Like yeah. They're, no, yeah. they're bummed about it. And, 
and you that really came through on stage that they they didn't phone a single moment in they were they were authentic and genuine they were sweet to the opening band I can't tell you how many times we've opened for one of these, you know, former monsters of rock that, like, have no idea we're even on the show. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Or or block us out of the green room. Right. Or have us removed from the green room. <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. You know, the Dio Disciples guys had us removed from the green room. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's like... That's just philosophically such a big difference and culturally such a big difference between people from the world of like, I won't even say punk rock. We'll just say that like, I don't know, man. What would you call it? 90s fucking weird alternative music world. You know, like the. I'm pretty good with calling it music. Yeah. Well, yeah. well but Eclectic, I mean. Eclectic, I guess. It, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what you would call it, but it's, it, it's, a, it's a different world. It's like. like underground music that like cult classic music i don't even know what you would call it but there's like a world of music that is like it's bands that that we attribute this uh sort of icon status to um that during their time they were not icons right you know they were never icons they became icons through the decades and through their their lore being passed around to other people. Yeah. And now, you know, these guys are old dudes in their 60s and they get to come to town and they're like, I can't believe that. Look <laughs> at all these people. Yeah. You know, proof positive of this. And this is another thing I want to ask you guys about. They brought one box of T-shirts right, it's right. True. to sell the 1,200 people. Right. Yeah. And they were sold out in the first hour. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Before our set was. That, yeah. Before we, maybe even before we went on stage. Now, how much yeah. of that do you think is them just being like, I don't know, let's bring some T-shirts yeah. and see if anybody wants to buy them. Well, you know, you know and the whole thing happened so fast because, you know, one thing I wanted to talk to them about, well, I had a lot of questions for them about album stuff. Right. But, but, you know was, you know, I don't know if they just, if they're flying into Denver, they had the shirts printed here, the box was delivered, the, the, the club ran their stuff, all the all the stuff was backlined, you know, that wasn't their, those weren't their amps and drums and shit, and then you fly to the next one, box shirts get delivered, yada, yada, yada. Right, right. You know, but yeah, when they showed up, because I wanted albums, I wanted shirts, and I, you know, and the shirts that they had printed I already own, you know, so. right? Because they just did the just the cow art, yeah, on the a black logo shirt. on a black shirt, you know. It said something on the back, but I didn't it, ever see what it was. Yeah, I read it. I don't remember what it, it was. Said. Obviously, something that they had not given a tremendous amount of of forethought to, you know, or they were deliberately going out of their way to be like. Let's only make one box of shirts and see, you yeah, know, to see what right, happens. Right, you know? right, right. Well, they, yeah, they would have sold a lot, but it worked out to us because you guys people got- were there to make money. They did enjoy our set. We played well, and we had a bunch of merch. So people just would like, I guess I'll have the fucking right. hot dog instead of the steak. Well, if you're all out of hamburgers, yeah. 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 Uh, I was telling you guys earlier, I was wearing your shirt yesterday, and this couple at the shitty bar I was closing, there was like five people in there. They're leaving, and they're kind of pointing at me all weird. And I was like, what do you want? <laughs> and they were like, were you, were you at the show yesterday? I was like, fuck yeah, I was at the show. It was rad. These are my homies. And they were like, we're, we're going to go see him at Goose Town next time. I was like, 
I'll see you there, buddy. See, so, that's really cool, man. You guys and made an impression. And know? it's, you know, the cool thing is, you know, you were talking about your Monsters of Rock, you know, guys and this and that that did blah, blah, blah. And, like, you know, it's a big deal to us. And it was a big deal for our career, our little young Rocky Rolly career thing. But, you know, you would think that we were, in our heads, when we found out that we got on the bill... That, like, we were playing with Metallica at the football stadium or something. It was a huge... You know, in our heads, we're like, holy crap, this is one of our favorite bands ever. And we get to play a huge theater with them. This is going to be crazy. And what we're going to do is we'll have people there that know us, but we're going to play in front of a whole lot of people that might like our style of music just all at once. Right. Instead of, like... And, and, you know, 10 people at a time in tiny venues, you know right, what I'm yeah. saying? Just all at once, boom. And- well, and and one thing that, that we've noticed when we've done bigger shows like that, like something about the frame that that puts you in. Yeah. We've talked about optics before. It validates you well, in, well, in their eyes. It legitimizes you in a certain yeah, way. You yeah. know, the, the audience just sees you as a band who is – playing with the huge band that they came to see. Yeah. So in their mind, you're just a, you know, they are discovering this new band that's on the rise. They don't know that you're a local band who begged to get on the bill. You know what I mean? That's one of the pieces of advice that someone gave me is not to mention that we're from Denver. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, there could be some truth to that. And, and just from, like something about people seeing a band that they like in that experience where a bunch of other people are liking that band in the same at the same time it makes it a more supernatural experience than just seeing them in you know in a small club with 10 other people which is also awesome in its own yeah, way absolutely, yeah. absolutely being able to say you know oh i saw these guys with five other people back in fred's bar in tuscaloosa right, right. you know but but something about going to see a band and seeing them for the first time in that context like cements a a certain uh certain attributions to them like they seem larger than they might be to you if you had seen them in that smaller club if that makes sense mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah definitely so that will do huge things for you guys especially like, for some of those younger fans too that, oh yeah like yeah, they took it. They took us way more seriously than we do. I think. You're, you, you will see people come to your shows who are like, who have become like mega fans now because they saw you at that show. Yeah, right. I mean, we'll destroy that illusion quickly. But, uh, <laughs> we're, we're oh, we're gonna let them down like overnight. <laughs> yeah, we we were talking earlier about how Terry was saying that like the atmosphere of the show was just like there were friends everywhere like yeah. everywhere you went there was just like oh hey 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 and i think everybody kind of put down their guard a little bit because that that type of band is for nerds the yeah. dead milkman is for nerds yeah. oh yeah for uh, sure there was no like tough guy attitude anywhere in the entire building you know i thought that was pretty cool it was the atmosphere of the of the whole evening was everyone I think was so in shock that they're getting to see this band. Right. Yeah. I know we were like, holy crap. Oh, you definitely. Know, I mean, I've never seen them. They broke up, you know, 
before I could ever see them, you know. Mm-hmm. And then when Dave Blood, their original bass player, killed himself, you know, it was just like, now I'm never going to fucking see this band ever, you know. And this yeah. is, this is, and that's something that I'd thought about a lot throughout my life. And mm-hmm. then when they started playing and i know they played at riot fest and and you know like i was real close to buying the ticket because i was busy that weekend Mm -hmm. but i would have paid that money to go to just see their set and leave yeah but then i was like why don't i just buy a cheap flight to philly see them in a club and fly back you know for that kind of whatever did you do that no because i'm busy all the fucking time and it goes away yeah and I always think, you know, and then that's why I was just so blown away when I saw the Gothics post that they were coming. And then right. it was like, oh, gosh. I hope they, I, I mean, you said they're writing new material, right? Like they're, yeah, and they have, to do they a, have a few new albums out. Yeah. They have a cool. few new albums yeah. out, like since, like, yeah, since the, since the last, whatever, five years that they've been coming and playing around again. That's you know? really cool. I hope they, I hope they keep doing it because it was, Going to that show, it is rare that there is a show that comes up that I have to go to. Right. There was, like, I worked a nine-hour, I worked a nine, almost ten-hour shift that day. Right. And Gordo was kind enough to put me on the guest list, and I spent all day getting, like, kind of pissed and bummed out at the possibility that I was going to miss your set. Because that was something that was so important to me was like, I want to go see my friends play this sold out show with their favorite band and, and get to experience that. And unfortunately, I'll have to watch that on YouTube now. But by the way, uh, for listeners of the podcast, if you uh, if you look up Granny Tweed at the Gothic Theater on YouTube, I believe the whole set has been uploaded to YouTube, which is really cool. Um, but so, yeah, now I'm going to have to watch it on YouTube. But. I, even though I wouldn't have been able to get there to see you guys on time, and even though I knew I was going to be late for the show, I had to get there and see what I could. Because a band like the Dead Milkmen is, they don't come around every day, and they're uh, bands like, bands that sound like them and have their personality don't come around every day yeah like there's truly nobody like them that i am aware of right yeah except you guys are a little like you can hear the dead milkmen's influence on what you guys do yeah but but you guys are your own thing altogether like they that there is no band that sounds like that i like i like what somebody said to me last night they're like you know you guys have that Talky jangly thing, <laughs> talky jangly <laughs> thing in common with the dead milkman. I, I thought. That oh was yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, sometimes you're talking like you talk a lot. I'm like, yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gordo, what were what were some of the high points for you in that show, man? It was uh, honestly, it was kind of a blur. You know, like it was. It's it like was, when you get married and you don't even have time to eat your own cake. You know, mm-hmm. exactly. No, uh, no. Seriously, it was it was amazing seeing all those people and, and the reaction to what we were doing is, is very rewarding. Right. You know, like I felt very, very fortunate to be there. And, um, you know, I, I was kind of, my mind was kind of more focused on the fact that my guitar was slowly dying. And, and that was really 
you know, bumming me out and giving me all kinds of anxiety. Right. Um, While you were on stage? Literally the whole time, just the amp kept getting quieter and quieter and quieter. It was just, it was just like sundowning right before me. And what was crazy, at one point, I... Like I'm, I'm leaning down to hear my guitar amp, and I could hear, I could hear Josh's monitor feed, like louder than I could hear my own amplifier. Wow! And that's when I knew I was really in trouble. But again, I gotta, I gotta say, like the staff at the Gothic, like those people knew what was up, and like they kept, they kept riding that knob, you know, and yeah, they, yeah. they kept riding that fader, and they yeah. kept turning me up as I was, as I was going downhill, and. You know, it's definitely not the first time that's happened. Yeah, you know, somewhere that between the two, it. like it was able to kind of balance out. So, like it, I think it all, I think it all panned out in the end. And you know, I think we played well. You know, I think we played. You know, one of the best shows we've ever done. Actually, I didn't notice anything was. Well, I, on, yeah, so. I, I talked to a lot of people, and, and it seemed like it was it was you know it was professionally handled from from now that's, another angle. Th- there's an <laughs> there's an important lesson in that too, and like. I want to say we had equipment problems both times we played the Fillmore. I want to say, like, didn't you have a bass amp problem or something uh, like that when we played yeah, the Fillmore? Yeah, it's a similar problem. Like, something was just dying. And right, like, was like things things were just not working the way they're supposed to. And, if like, one thing that I have learned from years of watching other bands and, and performing, you know, in really intense moments like that is... The the audience does not, you know, micro analyze your set as much as you do. Yeah. And what people do notice is when it gets to you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When, right. it, when it gets right. to you and you're having a bad time and you're somewhere else and you're projecting that anxiety or 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 uh, that presence isn't there, the the audience I think picks up on that more than they pick up on like an amplifier that is malfunctioning or something like that. Yeah. It's how you handle it. Yeah. It's all, it's all how you handle it and it's even utilizing it. Sure. Because that's part of what's fun about live music is it's like, um, there's a story about, uh, Ian McKay doing a, um, a minor threat show and he completely lost his voice and rather than being kind of angry about it and angsty and pissy and like letting it affect his performance, he utilized it in the show, wrote notes saying that he had lost his voice and basically just spent the entire show being a hype man while the audience sang his songs. Oh, that's right. cool. That's yeah. super cool. You know what I mean? It's it's this thing where you like something malfunctions or or like you see a band that they they break a string and so then the guitar player will just start tearing all their strings off their guitar and using them to make noise or smash their fucking guitar you know depending on what the band is like seeing a band take a shitty moment that could that could derail the train or it could create a moment that those people will remember for the rest of their lives you know what I mean? Yeah, like absolutely. They're, they're going to see how you handled that. There's a reason why I keep a sketchbook by my drum kit. And that's so when these guys break a string, I just start drawing. <laughs> he does. Nice. Are we ready it's, again? It's, it's, All right, not here we even go. joking. <laughs> I'm sure that's quite engaging for the audience. Yeah, well, 
Mm-hmm. The who? <laughs> no, it's it's hilarious. That happened. Where where did that happen last? I think it happened at uh, Gary Lee's. Gary Lee's. We were yeah. playing Gary Lee's, and I broke a string. Which I, I, it's weird. I thought I had two guitars that show. Anyway, broke a string. I had to change it, and uh, <laughs> and he was back there just sketching something out. And Elaine, the Holmesy, uh, she's like. Is Josh drawing back yeah. there? I'm like, of course he is. Uh, well, well you know, he's got to fill his time I mean, somehow. Sometimes, sometimes I'll get up. You know, I mean, luckily we don't break that many strings and shit. But I'll get up and tell jokes. I got a dad joke. You want to hear it? Yeah, I want to hear your dad joke. Uh, I, I mean, need to build up my. Collection. I'm not a good joke. I'm not a good joke teller. I can't ever remember them. But uh, what does Michael Jackson and Caviar have in common? They both come on little white crackers. <laughs> <laughs> is that a dad joke? I don't know if that's a dad joke, but he was dated. a dad. I think that's a joke that would upset dads. Oh, okay. That's I, a cracker joke. He was a dad. Not all dad jokes like, include dads. Oh, gosh. I think it's more of an uncle joke. <laughs> that's why I'm not. It's like, hey, come here, kid. I want to tell you. Let me tell you. something gross to say. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I've got an uncle that Cass just joke. taught me. A, there, right? Oh, yeah. That is a Jerry yeah. Cass joke for and sure. And he's a dad, so. Yeah. yeah. See? Like, I, I had an uncle that just taught me. Um, just taught me filthy songs like he uh he taught me the barnacle bill song do you know the barnacle bill the barnacle bill song nope it's like it's got two voices so there's like like there's the fair maiden there's the pretty fair maiden and then there's barnacle bill so like the verses uh like it goes so okay so it starts out with the the beautiful maiden right and she goes who is that knocking at my door? Who is that knocking at my door? Who is that knocking at my door? Said the pretty fair maiden. Well, me and my crew are here to screw the Barnacle Bill the sailor. Well, me and my crew are here to screw the Barnacle Bill the sailor. And so there's there's all these verses and all and, and I think there's one that uh, oh like basically they have a kid and then Barnacle Bill builds a pen so that they can keep having sex. Oh, my God. And then she gets pregnant again. And then he, she's like, what do we do if I get pregnant again? And he's like, I'll cut a fart and blow it apart on Barnacle Bill the sailor. Oh, Barnacle God. Bill is a bad guy. He's yeah, a bad Barnacle guy. Bill is a really a bad real guy. villain in this story. When you describe the action in the Barnacle Bill the sailor song, it sounds way worse than when you're singing it in, like, the, like, <laughs> happy, upbeat. Right. But yeah, you know, like he, he taught me that and then he taught me the, the walking through the jungle with my dick in my hand. I'm the motherfucking jungle man. See, I know walking through the jungle. Because what do I see? Yeah. But a, a motherfucker trying to piss on me. So I picked up a rock, I hit him in the cock, and I knocked the motherfucker right off of his block. Like so when you tell <laughs> when you tell that caviar Michael Jackson joke that that is an uncle joke. To oh, okay, me. I get you, I get you. Like, get you. Uncle jokes are different than dad jokes. Yeah, dad yeah. jokes are like, well, I'm an uncle, so that works out. Oh yeah, That's better. Yeah, hey kid, let me have a sip of my beer. Let me yeah. tell you a dirty joke. That's no, funny. As my as my here's nieces, your first Playboy. <laughs> as my nieces and nephews are getting older, you know, because there's 14 of them. The oldest one is now 20, you know, um, but. You know, they are all 14 nieces yeah, but, and nephews. And they're all on social media. You know, they're, they're getting older and they want, I get friend requests from them. I'm like, no. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, you don't need to see the art that I put out there for the rest of the world and everything. You know. So, 
now that now that's a, an an interesting side note is coming from rural Kansas yeah. and coming from the background that you've come from, you deal with a lot of resistance and blowback from hyper religious people. Sure, of course. When they see your art, yeah. So what has been? What would you say is the biggest? Like the piece that you've gotten the biggest blowback on, as far as your art. Well, goes. the rearted stuff, the thrift store where I buy thrift store paintings and paint on them. Right. And if you go to a thrift store and dig through their frames and their art, eighty percent of what's in there is religious. Um, pictures of Jesus from pictures Granny's of Jesus and 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 the praying guy at the bread and the you know the <laughs> you know at the bread yeah I don't fucking know you know and like you know all this stuff so it's definitely the Jesus ones but you know and my mom spent a good portion being a Mennonite pastor as well as a nurse and raising all of us asshole kids and all this stuff you know and like. So when I first started doing, yeah, when I first started doing these uh, um, um, Jesus pictures, you know, she called me and she's like, "Joshua, what are you doing?" I'm like, "Mom, if I paint Jesus to look like a devil, that is what Jesus looks like to us when people use his words and his beliefs as." For their platform of hatred. Right. God hates brown people. God hates fags. You know, all this stuff. That's what Jesus, that's what you make Jesus That's look what like. you turn him into when, yeah. you, when you use and him course, as an instrument of destruction. And of course, and she, exactly. Absolutely. You're using the words of the Bible to fucking be shitty to other people. Mm. Well, Jesus is a fucking shit then, you know, the way you're making him look or whatever right. that works. Um so that's how that that's there's yeah. a there's a tendency especially in um, there's a tendency especially in in uh, very devoutly dogmatic religious people um, to I mean to like from a Jungian perspective to disown their shadow selves mm-hmm. you know it's it's very easy to go. We are pure. We are good. You know, we are true disciples of God. And those people are evil, mongrel, mutant, you know, devil, like inhuman, um, like to deny the, the darkness in themselves. And what's interesting is the people who displace their shadow onto other people tend to be the most violent and malevolent and angry and uh, uh, abusive and hateful people out there you know and and it's it's interesting to me that people who come from a philosophy that is all that is supposed to be all about love and and equality and and the the greatness and of of human potential yeah. tend to be the ones who are who are putting the greatest amount of ugliness onto other people, and um, and I, I think it's interesting that that was the perspective you went at when you when you did those pieces. Is it's like it's like look, you're taking this great idea and you're turning it into an abomination when you use this wherever you sit on on um, in in the on the spectrum of belief. Uh, Taking these ideas that that are that are that are pure and good and about and about all the right in the world and using them to 
to dis- to destroy and to maim and to and to harm other people that that truly is demonic mm-hmm. you know what i mean so um and really at the at the bottom of it he's just making the art better yeah Fact. that now that is true like well, I have, I've got, I have it, some of them. Yeah, you, yeah, and you have an original Jesus painting mm-hmm. that I did, but but my wife loves it. Good, no. <laughs> uh, but um, <laughs> but um, the crazy thing is, like, I've gotten so much blowback. I've gotten, I've gotten a lot. You know, I've had threats over those paintings. I've gotten, you know, I think my my gallery was vandalized. Why well, no? It was vandalized once because I had one of them hanging in the window. Right. Um. You know, I've had people walk into the gallery and scream, you know, threats because of these these paintings that I do. And so it all boils down to you're going to harm me in the name of Jesus because I painted right. on this thing. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and that's it's not even what Jesus looked like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I love that meme that of like, you know, I think it's like a uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's this. It's Jesus sitting there with his disciples, and they're all sitting there, and, and the meme is, so there I was, the only, the only white guy in Palestine, you know? <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. Oh, that's another one, too. You'll get, you'll get, you'll get death threats, and, 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 like, there are lunatics who will, will throw a bomb through your window sure. if you assert, I mean— that that's not even a it, like that's not even like something that's like we don't really know. It's like if he was from if if Jesus a person was a historical character who actually lived. If that actually happened and he lived in Palestine, he was he was of Middle Eastern descent. Of he course. looked like people from the Middle East. Look. That's that that's I don't even think that that's arguable. But there are nuts out there who if. There are nuts out there who, if they even heard me saying that right now, would would feel compelled to harm me in some way sure. or threaten me in some way. Religion, religion does some wacky things to people, and not all of them are. Not everybody's violent, but somewhere in there, all of it is kind of based around that. You know, which directly lends itself to stupidity as well. I don't know. So yeah. here's a story. Um, a religious story. It's not violent, but it is. It does show <clears throat> the religion's grasp on on people's. I don't know intelligence. Okay, can I say that? Yeah. So, I know this young lady, and her dad works for a major university in the uh, paleontology, the rocks, you know, fossils. Right. Discovered a fossil. I mean, millions and millions of years old. He discovered it. It's named after him. It's in the Smithsonian, named after him. And he's a devout Christian that believes that the world is only 6,000 years old. And the dinosaurs. And the, and, and the daughter, my friend, goes, Dad, how, how can you have a fossil that you discovered named after you in the Smithsonian? How can you be now, drawn and, to the field of paleontology? And, listen, and, and, and his response is... Well, the the Lord works in mysterious ways. Hmm. That's yeah. all he had. Yeah. So I don't. Well, that's a good go to. Well, that's, yeah, that's that is that's their go to. That that clears everything up. Right. It's like uh, you know when people ask questions about Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or whatever, and they're like, "Oh, well, it was magic." 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, right, 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 right. That's, you know. Or if you or if you contest something in flat earth, it's like it's like, oh, well, that's part of the conspiracy. Yeah. Math is part of the conspiracy. Yeah, it's easy to dip out like that, you know? Yeah, it's like, it's, well, you go like, well, what about gravity? Oh, well, gravity's part of the conspiracy. Right. Gra- gravity is, uh, I, is I, a hoax. I happen to know a person who is a pilot that doesn't believe in gravity. He uses many instruments on a daily basis that are... How does he think he flies places? It really blows my mind. I do Wizards. my best. I work... Uh, you know, I'm not going to say his name or anything, but it's a witch. A witch. I will avoid. <laughs> I avoid that conversation topic completely because it's so frustrating to me that it's just like your paleontologist yeah. example. It's like how can you play both sides of the field that way? Right. Being alive is terrifying. Yeah. Being a human being is is scary. Like having having the uncertainty is is scary like walking around in the world and having so many questions about what our existence means and wondering about the finality of death and 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 wondering if our purpose that it really means anything that is very scary and holding holding uh seemingly contradictory ideas in your mind can be be jarring Kierkegaard talks about like uh, when staring into the abyss, one one should expect to feel a certain amount of dizziness. You know, yeah. like when you peer into uncertainty, when you consider paradox and all these different things, it can be very unsettling. So there is a temptation to want to just have, you know, man, if somebody could just lay out an instruction manual that just explains everything to me in a way that makes sense, so I don't have to worry about it anymore and can focus on 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 the things that I really want to focus on without experiencing existential dread at any point which you experience anyway no matter what you do you know that I guess I can understand the temptation to want to find an answer that only you and a select few members of a of a specialized group have like I can under the, I can understand the temptation to be drawn to that because it gives you momentary respite from from the uncertainty of of just walking around and existing. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, and not only that, we have these technologies that are designed to show you more of stuff that you like. Yeah, definitely. And that. show you more of things that you're interested in. It's like it's like, oh, you subscribe to these ideas and these philosophies. You know, here, let me take you a little further in a Let a, me lead the journey up your own ass. Yeah. yeah. Uh other Amazon shoppers also right. enjoyed yeah. this product. Proportionality you know what I mean? biases biases out of the through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> like thanks to social media. Like, well you and, only get your viewpoint. Well, and we're we're learning the, these technologies are so new and we're still learning how to relate to them and I think we will we'll see those things improve I don't think we'll destroy ourselves with this but I do think that we'll look back on this era in history but we may not but our our species our civilization will probably look back at this generation and just be like blown away by how 
weird it was. Yeah, it'll be the equivalent of how we look back and people banging their pots and pans at an eclipse to to scare off the dragon. Exactly. (laughs) It's like they believed in these things. Yeah, man. It's like... That, like there was actually a period of time where where it became surprisingly popular not to vaccinate your kids. Yeah. So uh, Sarah and I took uh, ransom for his two month follow up. Mm-hmm. How's the little guy doing? He's fucking amazing, dude. Congratulations! By thank the way. you I don't so think much. I've seen you since you since you had it, dude. He's huge. He's he's, <laughs> he's growing. Well, okay. I got I got to give you a little backstory here. Sarah has struggled with with breastfeeding. Uh-huh. Okay, which a lot of women do. Yeah. You know, supply is not an issue. She delivers like a champ. But his latch isn't super great and it's been painful mm-hmm. and and there's just there's conflicts that come up and things that she's struggled with and had, had got told that maybe she had thrush for a while and got told that there was a bad latch and a really popular one now is um, tongue ties and lip ties and even cheek ties. There's a lot of like there's a lot of people there's there is almost no empirical evidence whatsoever to support having a tongue tie, cheek tie or lip tie cut. All right. I have no idea what you're talking okay. about. Okay. Supposedly um, like you've heard you've heard of someone being tongue tied before that comes from this idea that there's like a a piece of tissue like a piece of sinew mm-hmm. under your tongue which restricts the movement of your tongue or in your lip or in your cheek that restricts the movement of your mouth supposedly uh, in extreme cases it can lead to gap teeth speech impediments it, it, uh, uh, TMJ and um, and difficulty with latching like yeah. it's it's in extreme cases. Okay. But there isn't there isn't a ton of empirical research behind it. There is however a whole bunch of anecdotal research of yeah. of people who are like, "Oh, when I had, you know, I had the most trouble breastfeeding, but as soon as I got the tongue tie cut or as soon as I got the lip tie cut or as soon as I got the cheek t- tie cut, it made a world of difference." So they will actually go in with the scalpel. And- They'll go to a dentist. A dentist will say uh, a dentist will say, yeah, they have a tongue tie or a lip tie, and they'll cut it with a laser, and you have to do these stretches to keep pulling the wound open basically over and over again. But, you know, so many people swear by it. And so, you know, like most new parents, we're getting a lot of conflicting information from a lot of different people. There's genuine concerns of things that we're, we're trying to hash out and deal with. And anytime you go on the Internet, there's tons of clickbait that yeah. is designed – to scare uncertain first-time parents. And since Sarah is like full-time mom, that is what she does for a living now is being a mom. Um, you know, she sees a lot of this stuff because she's she wants to do the best job she can. Sure. You know, bless her fucking heart for it and bless the heart of every mom out there who's just trying to make it work. And she goes to this dentist, and of course, the dentist says, oh yeah, he's got a lip tie, he's got a tongue tie, he's got a cheek tie, and... And Sarah kind of goes, you know, well, what what are the odds of him developing these problems later on? Like, is really trying to seek counsel from him. And he's giving her a lot of non-answers. Yeah. You know, a lot of like, well, it's hard to say with these things and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And Sarah just had a bad feeling about the whole thing. She mm-hmm. was like, he made too much eye contact. Like, it was really, it was really weird. Like, it was just kind of an off-putting environment to be in. Snake oil salesman. A little bit. So... We go to our pediatrician, and um, 
and we tell him about this, and he goes, I'm really glad you guys didn't do that. He goes, you know what's funny is 100% of the people who go into those offices have a baby with a tongue tie or a lip tie or a cheek tie or all three. Yeah. And the dentist is only too happy to take their money and to do that procedure. And he's like, he's like, the, the fact of the matter is the people who report it making a huge amount of difference, it's really confirmation bias at work. Yeah. You know, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that breastfeeding's hard. Mm-hmm. It gets better over time. As a baby grows, his mouth gets bigger and, you know, uh, a woman's nervous, you know, nerve sensitivity changes and all these things happen to where it just kind of gets better over time. And you can learn techniques to kind of better the latch. But it's this like, I mean, I don't I don't think the term charlatan is is too harsh a term for people who are willing to do this. And he's like, he's like, what's most interesting and earlier it, it, at the two-month appointment, this is his two-month follow-up because he's two months old now. So it's our two-month follow-up, and that's when they start to offer vaccinations. And we go in, and the nurse goes, so have you guys decided you want to vaccinate? And I was like, absolutely, we want to vaccinate. And then, she, and I go, out of curiosity, how often do people turn down the vaccinations? She goes, actually, quite often. Oh, man. Like, it happens a lot. So when the pediatrician is coming in and telling us about uh, this lip-tie, tongue-tie thing, he goes, you know what's funny is we run kind of a a hippie, crunchy practice here. He's like, a lot of <laughs> the people who... Did he actually say crunchy? Yeah, he said hippie, crunchy practice. <laughs> you know, he did. His name's Dr. Huff. He's got long hair and a beard and glasses and, you know, wearing sandals. And he's a he's a cool guy. He's got the pants with the zip-off bottom leg. <laughs> oh, <shit. and laughs> probably, you know, goes on raft trips to the Grand Canyon every few years and goes to see widespread panic play. You know, like, he's, he's an earthy dude. And he's a cool guy. He's like... What's interesting is that the the one the the patients that we have who are like so far to that extreme that they just have no interest in in trusting science at all like to the point where they won't even take vaccinations they're the first ones to jump on the trend of having someone laser their baby's face open yeah no doubt and and it's it's this thing where ideas emerge they cause controversy Mm -hmm. and they cause a response from people which causes them to trend in the algorithm yeah which causes them to rise to the top of the like if you think josh you grew up on a farm it's like the cream but if cream was shit that just like floats to the top and people are just skimming off the shit. And that's how things like anti-vaxxing become huge. That's how like th- like yeah. big time conspiracies become a thing. Like Stem cell therapy is a current Is large, another one. Like they're just grinding up placentas and injecting it into knee and calling that stem cell therapy. Right. And it's like not how it works. You right. Know? You were talking about that uh, that that Vox uh, Today Explained or mm-hmm. whatever it is. They did a whole thing that's, on that's that. That's exactly where I got my information. <clears throat> right. It's, it's, it's the same thing as like when oxygen bars became a thing. Yeah. Or, you know, you, you, you can name... Only it happens on a much more massive scale now because there are technology systems and softwares that are designed to present those ideas to people 
um, it, it, like in as massive volume as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's it's easy to make fun of people who fall for that shit. But I think it's a lot scarier than we lend credit to because these people like to dismiss anyone who gets involved in some sort of trending idea like that as a moron, I think is is foolish and short sighted. Yeah, because these are just regular people who are trusting information that's delivered to them. And it's information which is necessarily harmful to society as a whole. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah. Anyway, that's a that was a major, major side tangent. But um, you got yeah. a lot of information out real quick. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how much of it is reliable, and I'm sure I'm going to get an email <laughs> from someone who's like, was like, my tits would have fallen off if I hadn't cut my baby's lip tie or something like that. I'm going to get very, very angry parent who cut a tongue tie who's going to be, who's going to be hitting me up about this, but. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting experience. Um, man, I hate to end on that, but <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the band name we came up with earlier? Ramblin' Randy's or something like that. Uh, do you remember what it was? It's on tape somewhere. <laughs> okay. Oh, I know what I wanted to do before we got out of here. It was really funny, and yeah, let's so, end on something better than that. So no, I I I knew what I wanted to end on. So. Terry, you've listened to the show a bunch and know that we we do the one for the homies shout out on on every episode where we you guys pick something that we we close the show on. But now that we have a mixing board, we can actually listen to stuff like live in the room and uh, and kind of get some commentary and feedback and and response. And we we actually did a live premiere. Well, not a live premiere, but we premiered. um uh, one of Jerry's new songs last week. Jerry Garcia? Uh, yes, Jerry Garcia's new stuff. Uh, he's like the Tupac of the jam band world. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so Gordo tells me that you guys have some new stuff. Yeah. And we were talking about... Oh, we already sang Hickey Butt. Oh. Oh, was it Hickey Butt? Okay, never mind. That's that's Well, I mean, there's a remix that's going to be on the album, but that's that's essentially the tune. So well, so are, what I, gonna, are we going to play a track? Yeah, we're so we're going we're going to debut a Granny Ooh. Tweed. Oh, I'm it, excited it, for this! I didn't know this guys, was happening. You guys get to choose. Yeah, we choose the song, but choose wisely. Of course, I like school because it's only a minute and a half long, and it's about school and education is important. I've already forgotten what we recorded. <laughs> And it's a song, it, the way Granny Tweed's songwriting process goes a lot, you know, is Gordo writes songs, writes writes riffs and words and comes in and, and he'll have a song. But other times we'll, he'll show up with this gaggle of fucking licks and mm-hmm. we'll pick and choose and put them together. And okay. <clears throat> they can tell me what sucks and what doesn't. And this, and this, song, those are the parts that, that don't get involved. I like I love this one and this one and this one will make a great song. The rest of them can die. But <laughs> the he's so supportive. This tune, this tune, we did at a rehearsal. We just wrote the whole thing. Like he was goofing off on a weird little mm-hmm. riff. I put a beat to it. 
we Those started the most it fun. literally like we wrote this thing in 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 15 minutes the words doesn't that piss you off though the like, words it's so, sometimes it's like oh that was easy and oh, then yeah. other times you'll beat something in oh yeah for sure around and you're like for sure let's just never play this ever again. Uh, ever again <laughs> it's all it's just all a part of the weird songwriting process but i love this tune because it's uh you know it's a it's it's about school. It's about school. I'm in support of choosing school. That'll be all right. I think we're all we're all in support of choosing school. Okay, we're all Sorry. in support of school. We're all we all support school. Sorry, normally I smoke pot on the show. This is the first time that I've like drank coffee. Yeah, and so like I've just had to like piss. <laughs> Everybody's every, yeah. been just like tag teaming, running out yeah. of the room, <laughs> dude. Okay. Um, so you know we we started you know just putting it together. The whole song took like 15 minutes, mm-hmm. and like. I don't know how we got on the subject of school. I think it's because I wanted to do something weird with with it as far as, like, the drumming part where I just wanted to, like, hit the stick. And it got to me thinking of, like, a teacher, like, hitting the ruler on the table. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, and then it was like... Then it was like, oh, we should start it with a school yeah. bell. So I do it on the hi-hat, you know. And, like... Uh, then we started talking about the words, and I was like, I have, I heard this pattern, and then Gordo took, you know, I was like, two plus two, dude, something, da da. And then he went home that night and wrote these fucking great words for it. So, nice. see, I've, I've heard this song live, and I didn't, I didn't realize yeah. that that, man, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, you can hear the words real good on the recording, so. Okay, let's check it out. It has good words. Nice words, bro. Terry. Thanks, man. <laughs> you paint a good picture there. Yeah. I thought I told you to listen up. I thought I told you to listen up. I thought I told you to listen up. Two plus two, and now a verb. Pencil, paper, protractor. That's that. That's great. Who's playing the synth in that? That would be me. That's you on the synth? Can you teach me? I've been wanting to I've been wanting to learn like basic keyboards for a while now. Dude, this guy is a man like he does so much production stuff like it is so cool, you know, you know, extra tambourines and this and that, but all the keyboard stuff besides the guitar work like Piano and like weird little ding 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 things and shit. It's like wow. I really like. I really hope that this this opportunity that you guys had uh, works as some sort of catalyst to I- accelerate you guys getting at least. Cl- 
closer to getting the credit that I I believe you guys deserve. Thank you. Like I I've always found Granny Tweed to be such a such a brilliant band. Like lyrically, musically, like you guys are great songwriters, you're great performers, you're a ton of fun. The production is always just like I I couldn't come up with something as creative as you guys come up with when you when when you put a song out. You know, I mean, you guys you Thanks, guys man. live are a blast, but even on like in an album like all the Granny Tweed albums sound like man, they sound like something that I should have gotten in the the Columbia House record, you know, right. collection when I was getting my Ween and Faith No More and and fucking Dead Milkman albums when I was a kid. Right. Seriously. Like, it's it's Well, it's you just really, named three of our biggest influences. Yeah. Well, yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, no, and I know that. And, yeah. and it's a reason that I appreciate you yeah. guys so much. Thank but, you for well, saying thank that. You. That's thank a, you. a yeah, huge course, endorsement. Most, yeah. appreciate of course. No, I, I, I love your band. And, um, man, it's been a while since we've done a show together. We should probably do that soon. Seems yes. like a thing we should do. Because really the only – like, I get to hang out with Gordo every week on the podcast. Right. But the only time I get to hang out with you guys is if we are doing a show together or, Josh, if you and I are working on a project yeah. together. And it's it's been a little while since we've worked on something. Yeah, we so. need to make a new T-shirt. Yeah, we need your to make... idea that you had. Oh yeah, did I tell you the the Thieves of Thunder T-shirt that I wanted to have Josh no. make for us? No, I just want a drawing of Thor sitting in a recliner, just like fat in a bathrobe, just like on his phone, with just like like plates of food. And like balled up tissues, like Thor. <laughs> Thor, if he was Elvis in his last days, just Thor. <laughs> Thor, if he was just like, just like mediocrity had just set in, and he's just like, like it's this whole idea of being uh, like God making us in His own image, mm-hmm. and then like I don't know, kind of. And what a bad idea that was. Well, well, and so if if we are truly made in the image of the gods, and we're sitting in recliners, staring at our phones, you know, twenty hours a day, jerking off to internet porn and watching TV, and like just like not even having the energy to like clean up the area around (laughs) us, you know what I mean? I just just like I had this idea of like the Molnir, the hammer, just like sitting there, like. In a pile of beer cans, right? Yeah. You know like what I mean. Cobwebs on it, and shit yeah. Cobwebs on it, just like an old sock draped over the handle. Yeah, totally. Just like and just the TV, it like the light. Yeah, yeah the TV in front of him. Yeah, I like it. That's yeah. a cool idea. That's a I great idea. Yeah, I think well, that'd be a we'll fun. go get to work on it. Cool. It's, it's already copyrighted. Don't even think about it no. out oh, there in TV land or podcast land or podcast wherever. Right? Land. Well, guys, I really appreciate you coming and sitting and having a, a conversation yeah, with thanks, us. Guys. It's, it's been a blast. I've been looking forward to this one. Really fun. Oh, real quick, I want to I want to plug our next show. Oh yeah, plug, plug it. Plug it. Uh, eight, uh, June fifteenth at Goose Town, we're playing the King Rat anniversary show. Oh yeah, twenty five uh, oh, years yeah. of King Rat with yep. Plomo. Yeah, and it's going to be a good time. And you drew the poster for that as well. I did draw the poster for that. Man, it's already that means it's already been five years since we were uh, they did that um, that Four. live tribute album, uh-huh. which was super fun. We got to yep. do a song. We got to contribute a song to that, and I would That's actually love to bring that song back. Yeah. That was a fun yeah. one. That was fun to learn. You know, um, and and I don't know if Luke will even hear this, but just this is an interesting aside that that I was thinking of. Do you guys know what an ikigai is? 
Nope. Like, okay. Like an icky. Oh, okay. Ew, he's an icky guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, that guy's like, it. no, no, no. An icky guy. So in Okinawa, they don't really have a word for retirement. Like, people don't retire. Right. But people don't really have careers either. Like, they have an icky guy. And an icky guy is your reason for getting up in the morning, essentially. So Okinawa also has the uh, per capita um, uh, oldest life expectancy. Like per capita, the people on the island of Okinawa tend to live longer than like at the extremes anybody else in the world, right? So they don't have a word for retirement. They just have an ikigai. It's the it's their reason for getting up in the morning, as opposed to um, retirement, which came about um, through oh God. It was it was pre World War One when. When basically the idea of retirement, of like state-sponsored retirement, like once you get to a certain age, you can stop working and the state will take care of you. Well, the the age they decided on was something like five years shy of the life expectancy in Germany at that time anyway. So the state didn't plan on having to pay to keep you alive that long. Yeah. So there tends to be this correlation between life expectancy and having a tremendous amount of purpose in your life, right? So the one King Rat song that has always stood out for me that I've always really loved is um, To Rock Is My Role. And I actually, every day when I write in my journal, I have like an identity statement that is like kind of like my purpose on this earth, like the reason I get out of bed every morning. And the very last line in that identity statement is To Rock Is My Role. So Luke Schmaltz, whether he knows it or not, because I don't think I've ever told him that, but whether he knows it or not, the the song that he wrote is the inspiration for like my reason for getting out of bed every morning. Yeah, cool. So actually, on that, we're gonna do a one for the homies shout out here at the end of the episode to uh, Luke Schmaltz and King Rat. Happy twenty five years uh, of making kick ass punk rock music, and and Luke for just being a one of a kind, just crazy, wild, interesting character, and a man who I love very much. Uh, this is our version of "To Rock" as my role off the twenty beers, twenty years, and twenty million beers uh, King Rat tribute album. So, uh, yeah, this has been the motherfucking podcast, episode sixty. Only Woo! forty episodes to go before we hit triple digits, man. Racking them up. Cranking them out. We got all sorts of great guests coming up. Um, Nate Valdez from uh, In the Whale is coming on. Uh, Karen Kuda is going to be on soon from Nashville Pussy and Hemi Kuda. Um, Jamie Jorgensen, the soon to be famous animator. Uh, man, just I got a bunch of people coming on the show coming up soon. And uh, hopefully we'll have Tony back next week. So, um, and Logan, I would love it if you would start <clears throat> coming more often. It's always nice to uh, have you. I figured you. that was the plan. Once Tony was gone, I was going to kick it up a notch because sometimes it's a too many cooks in the kitchen type of situation but now we have so. four microphones i i noticed that yeah so yeah i plan on being here more cool man well thanks for listening thanks for telling a friend thanks for all the likes shares subscribes and uh we'll see you next week thanks for listening to the motherfucking podcast i'm aaron i'm logan i'm gordo and we'll see you guys next week bye-bye bye this is uh this is our version of a King Rat song. And as soon as we got offered to do this, I was like, we're doing a rock is my role, or we're not doing it at all.
You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. 